Hello and welcome, my friends, for another episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, you're joined here by your boy, Heavy Days, coming at you from the Upside Down Library. And on this one, we want to give a massive shout out to our incredible sponsors who helped make the show happen. Seeds here now, your number one seed bank in the industry. A guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination, with all the hottest breeders and the latest drops. Why would you go anywhere else? If you finish a grow and you're not satisfied with the end product, hit them up. They'll make it right. They only stock the highest quality breeders. And I know they got some fire packs from your boy Heavy Days there. Check them out before they're gone, guys. Massive shout out to Seeds here now, your number one stop for all your genetic needs. But in order to get your garden pumping on all cylinders and producing the best crop to date, you got to make sure your room's dialed in. To do that, check out our friends at Pulse Sensors, number one sensors and integrated hubs in the game, measuring all of the variables, PPD, VPD, temperature, humidity, dew point, all the extra variables you don't consciously track to help ensure your next crop is the best to date. Whether you're running a single tent, a single room, or a multi-state operation, Pulse Sensors are the number one in the game, and they've just recently released the Pulse Hub, a central unit to integrate all of their monitors to make sure that your rooms are the best they can possibly be. Massive thank you to Pulse Sensors. We appreciate you so much. Likewise, you've got to keep your garden pest and pathogen free. And to do that, you've got to check out our friends at Copit. These guys are the world leaders in sustainable biocontrol solutions for pests and disease. If you're battling spider mites, check out their new Spidex Vital Plus sachets. These are new Persimilis breeding sachets that release predator mites into your crop consistently over a period of several weeks, providing you with sustained spider mite control. Now you don't have to spread carrier material through your garden just to introduce predator mites. Just hang the sachets on your crop, let the Persimilis walk out and do the work for you. Trust me guys, you don't want to have to go up against a spider mite infestation without Spidex Vital Plus. These are truly the best predators in the game. I promise once you use it, you'll see the quality, you'll never go back. Massive shout out to Copet. Likewise, you got to check out our friends at Organics Alive. If you're growing organic and want to use high quality powdered organic fertilizers, you simply cannot go past Organics Alive. These guys truly walk the walk and talk the talk. They have been picking up cups left, right and center with growers all around the country sweeping categories using their products. That is the ultimate testament in my opinion if home growers are winning competitions using their products. The proof is in the pudding guys. No matter what stage of the plant cycle you're at, veg, transition, flower, in need of micronutrients or a very specific sort of boost in late flower, they've got it. You've got to check out Organics Alive, guys. Truly one of the best in the industry. We're super stoked to be working with them because we know how amazing their products are. Used in heaps of breeder gardens that we have on the show. Again, check them out. Organics Alive, massive thank you. Massive shout out for supporting the show. Finally, a massive shout out to the entire crew at Dynavap. These guys make some of the best vaporizers on the game. I'm really passionate about this one because they help me to get off combustion and smoking bongs. If you have any concerns about your respiratory health, or heck, if you just want to try a different mode of ingestion, maybe try to get a better flavor hit, you've got to check out the Dynavat. These guys' units are cheap, they're incredibly well designed, and most importantly, they're very customizable. You can take your vape game to the next level, getting insane terps, all while retaining the potency you'd expect of a combustion or a bong. Truly, I was smoking bongs for over 10 years. I'm now vape only. Massive 
massive shout out to Dynavap. They're one of the best in the industry and we owe them a massive thank you. Shout out again, Dynavap. Massive thanks for supporting the show. Finally, a quick little mention to our Patreon gang, truly the lifeblood of the show. If you want to get early access to episodes, unheard and unreleased interviews, as well as going in the running to get amazing genetics each month and fortnight, come on, check out the Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. We do live smoke with heavy sessions every fortnight and give away heaps of swag every month. Come check it out. We love you, the Patreon gang. Thank you so much. We are so appreciative. So on today's episode, we got a special one, joined all the way from Europe, a real connoisseur grower, keeper of the A5, C5, hash plant haze, so much more, a hashish enthusiast and keeper of the flame, massive thank you to Yo Sammy for coming on the show today. Here to talk all things Dutch history, hashish cannabis culture, breeding, and so much more. Without further delay, let's get into it. Alrighty gang, a big welcome back to another episode and on today we've got an old school European head, a preservationist, keeper of the A5C5, hash plant haze and so many more. A big thank you to Yo Sammy Sam for coming on the show today. Thank you. Good night, my time. Pleasure to be here. It is great to have you on, my friend. First question we love to ask people, what have you been smoking on today? Well, hashis. So I like hashis. Eh? So mainly I, uh, I uh, smoke hashis and it's getting a, you know, a nuisance to um, you know, tap into the broader varieties as before. You know, that's a little bit uh, uh, something that, uh, that I do not like uh, about the evolution. So there's less uh, quality import, but there's still, you know, good things to find. So I mainly, you know, smoke spliffs, actually, like the Europeans do, you know, tobacco hand-rolled um, joints uh, with a lot of hashis. And so that's what I talk, talk mainly. But now in my stash, weed-wise, is Mexican haze. Um, the shortcut variety and the new horizon haze, some A5 and some Neville's haze that I keep around. Sadly, the Band-Aid haze 7 is just finished because that's actually my favorite one. <laughs> you read my mind. I was going to say, is that because the first jar to go empty is the best? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. It's really good. And C5, of course, also, you know, usually the best things are smoked first. Eh? <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that. I, I Before we touch on some of those incredible strains you just mentioned, I want to quickly loop back. You mentioned talking about hash and how the cultures changed a bit. What sort of varieties of hash would you still feel represent that narrow leaf drug type are there any of the uh you know imports that still have that old world effect well it's hard to access them now because uh yeah you know like the smuggling uh, in these day and age it's not an easy thing okay when you for instance for me the best hashes i ever sampled was a uh, nepalese dry sift from high up the mountains there you know it was like uh, it blew everybody's mind that stuff gets you so high you smoke it, it was like, you know, it obliterated your tolerance also. But it was really nice to smoke, you know, and taste and everything. So it was like a candy. It was like a treasure, okay? And um, we don't get that anymore. So, But uh, 
hash types like that, they have that NLD high too, you know what I mean? So uh, Moroccan is different. Each has their own unique sound. So they're very, they have a lot of character. That's why I like hashish so much. So my first joint I ever smoked was also hashish because I liked the smell of that came from it. Okay. They were totally, I never was interested in cigarettes because uh, they didn't, you know, like smell so nice. But as a teenager, I, I smelled hashish and I was like, wow, this stuff, you know, like mm, maybe want to try. And yeah, <laughs> I did. And it was, yeah, a revelation, of course. And then you get high for the first time and the whole world paradigm changed. So, uh, but for me, it was mainly hashish. It still was. And the, the weed, the ganja, of course, I also appreciate very dearly. But uh, it's like a different league, so to speak, okay? that that's really beautiful what a what a cool experience to have been able to try that nepalese hash and i'm sure many others over the years out of curiosity do you find yourself like interested in more modern representations of hash so like maybe from the band-aid haze the a5 the c5 or do you feel the magic really lies in those terroir coming from the equators Why you then you are comparing uh, apples and oranges, so to speak? You know what I mean? Because import hashish, it's from a yeah, it has a very different connotation than a one strain uh, uh, extraction, so to speak. Okay, which doesn't mean it cannot be nice, but it's like an infused rocket. It's very uh, one dimensional. You only get this kind of type of variety high, so it's boost up. Eh? And it's really nice, so it's really pure and everything. I think concentrates are also really uh, fantastic, especially for the mat uh, people like oils and tinctures also. But in terms of smoke, uh, smoking, like, you know, wow, if you have NLD cultivars, DOM cultivars like that, they're really strong. If you're going to concentrate that shit and smoke it, wow, phew, yeah, seriously? <laughs> Good luck with that, okay? So it's like good for once in a while, I think, things like that. But, you know, I'm not opposed to it, but I'm not in, uh, I'm not a fan of it. I don't smoke it daily. You know, I do occasionally do a dab, but I'm not really. So I like my type of smoking, let's say, because I'm used to it. It's more like a traditional embedded in our uh, culture here, so to speak. Okay. Yeah, sure. And, you know, when, when you're trying some of these, like, you know, land race origin hashishas, do you ever find that you get uh, an effect that's quite different to, say, um, the varieties of flour that are on offer? So, like, for example, a lot of sativas, people think of them as either racy or, like, clear and stimulating. Do you feel like the hashish from various different places can offer, like, a different dimension? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, it's a different. They're different realms. And the, that's what the beauty of cannabis as a whole, actually, huh? So it's such a diverse universe, universe actually, you know, like uh, you have ganja, you have hashish, you have like, you know, you can do so many things with these plants. There are so many varieties. So there's, uh, yeah, variety is a spice of life. So it's like hard to compare uh, Moroccan hashish, for instance, like the top quality to Nepalese or Kashmir or Afghani or like we used to get also Turkish and Lebanese and so it all got diminished a little bit because of geopolitical uh, yeah, things. And um, it's a sad thing. I hope in the future with uh, the change of the legislation, with this now first and foremost aimed at, uh, of course, ganja and everything comes with it, the cultivating and uh, such. But uh, in time, I hope it will spread further to the countries where this hashish is uh, traditional still being made and we can access it again. Because, you know, for me, that's the true richness and the epiphany of cannabis, 
for me personally, because it has this character that you don't find in modern extracts. Not to saying that they're bad or something. It's just like, you know, it's a different league of, of getting high, let's say, okay? And also, I smoke with tobacco, so it's a melange more. So I'm like a smoker, you know? We like to smoke, so... It's not that we like dabbing you, you, it's a different thing, you know, like you also smoke, but, you know, it obliterates, it's more direct, let's say, and we enjoy the smoking also, let's say, okay. So uh, it's, a, it's a different approach and different, uh, yeah, methodology to, to, to uh, get high from cannabis, so to speak, okay. So we like our hash and mainly that's why the reason why um, we smoke with tobacco, because it was like that back in the day. You just, you know, when the tolerance system in Holland started, it was only hashis. Eh? There was no indoor grown weed. So they did it to separate the market from uh, soft and hard drugs because the heroin um, plague uh, that was across Europe back then, well, it cost a lot of young people's lives. And so the Dutch were then um, separating the market to uh, try to fight the um, <clears throat> heroin traffic better. And they were very successful. But with that came the import hashis. That was mainly the thing here in Holland. Okay, And from there, it then grew further into ganja cultivation. And actually, it got completely upside down a little bit. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy how things can evolve over, uh, over 40 years of time, let's say. Okay. Or 50. Wow, what an evolution. Look, let, let's come and touch on the tolerance system in a moment, but I just want to quickly loop back and ask you, for anyone who's interested, you know, there's lots of our listeners who still visit Amsterdam and Holland regularly. What would you say is your general hierarchy of the hash that's currently available? Is there still generally speak like for example, would you say, oh, you know, most of the African hash you get is generally not the highest quality? Like, how would you describe the current state of the landscape for anyone who wants to come to Amsterdam and maybe try some hash? Well, for for my experience at least, so I'm just like I'm not really um, somebody that goes fishing in coffee shops for hashis. I have my connection, so to speak, and you know the 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 top qualities usually reside more in like smaller quantities, you know, so they cannot put it for sale because it just yeah, they only have like uh, limited access to this kind of uh, material. And so um, the sad thing is that I found that all Tibetan uh, made uh, hashis and also Indian like Kashmir and everything, also Turkish like uh, Lebanese, it also it vanished. So we are now only having uh, Moroccan varieties. There is also a big change there, of course, with the modern uh, cultivars that are being imported there. So it's still tra traditional made Moroccan hashis, but they don't use uh, the necessarily the old cultivars from um, back in the day, so to speak, okay? So there's also a little bit of change in that, but, you know, great hashis is like, it's like it gets you high in a certain realm. It's very nice to sit around with, you know, like people smoke, uh, have some tea and, you know, like talk and discuss about life, philosophate a little bit. It's more that vibe that you know, it's important, okay? And also the taste and everything. So, um in coffee shops, you know, it's hard to really uh, determine the quality. I don't, you know, I don't visit them so much, so I can't really uh, assess their quality so much. What I do know is that import hashis is like in the background now, it's all modern hashis, okay, whether it's isolated or whatever. And usually they're also made not from the traditional cultivar. It's like uh, these modern extracts. 
And so the market in that uh, sense has changed a lot, okay. But um, for me personally, as a hash favorite from the hash countries, well, it's not so a great evolution. But of course, we still have the great ganja. So, you know, one must not complain and, uh, you know, be happy with what we still got and try to increase it in the future as good as we possibly can. Oh, I love that. What a beautiful sentiment. And a few questions ago, you mentioned the tolerance system in Holland and how that sort of played out over the years. How would you give an overview of the scene currently? How would you describe the Amsterdam scene to people as it is now? Well, the Amsterdam scene, so I come from the south of Holland, and so I was more like secluded from the Amsterdam scene because... Yeah, what we had here with these hazes and these hashish people, well, so we, we, we went frequently to Amsterdam because it's a nice city to go to, okay? And of course, we did some coffee shops, but usually the gear that was in our pocket, we found superior than the gear that they were offering because, yeah, it's a little bit of a commerce thing there. Eh? But there are still nice. So in Amsterdam was always nice things to be found. And it's like, yeah, you know, like it was the capital of cannabis, let's say, for uh, many, many years while the whole world was still uh, repressing cannabis very hard, the Dutch were the only one to, like, yeah, like I said, tolerate it because to protect actually their youngsters from uh, getting killed by other mean drugs, you know what I mean? And um, it was a good thing, but yeah, over time it changed a lot. Eh? So now with the legislation change in America, of course, you have these... Um, wave of uh, like tsunami of a uh, more uh, North American strain to cushion on the cake, let's say that uh, kind of, um, yeah, uh, come flooding there. And uh, yeah, it's a popular thing here also. So for the youngsters, it's like this now. So the market is in continuous flux also. Eh? So it always is something new. And so these hypes will eventually blow over. And, uh, you know, cannabis, I think it's more for the people also. Uh, it's for the broad people, I hope, as many. It's, it must be accessible to all, you know what I mean? And that's a good thing. But, I mean, uh, the true passionados, uh, let's say, well, they, they always steer to the quality of things and not so much the hypes. And they stick around, of course, over the years. And that's how it is. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And, I mean... Would you say in general that uh, the majority of the people involved in the, the scene slash the industry in Holland are more of the old school sort of heady nature and they're, they're looking for those older effects or is it like most places in the world where there's still quite a, uh, a strong majority of people who are into the more newer modern hype sort of stuff? Well, you know, the Amsterdam market wasn't so purely Dutch, actually, you know, for instance, a lot of uh, people from other countries are there established themselves there to work this plant and to, you know, be uh, a part of the community that later evolved to become an industry, you know, I mean, like Neville also did his work in Holland, Sam the Skunkman brought his seeds to Holland, you know, I mean, everybody came to Holland and so Amsterdam was actually a metropolitan that attracted uh, various people from over the whole world, okay, to work this plant. And so there are only few really Dutch people that do this also, that still reside from back in the day before actually the indoor uh, ganja scene and the coffee shop uh, market exploded, okay. And there are still uh, Dutch people in Amsterdam, but I wouldn't call Amsterdam, uh, you know, like purely Dutch in that uh, perspective. Pers in terms of uh, 
who works plants there and who provides weed to people, okay? It's more like an international uh, collective there, and there are a few people from Amsterdam that kind of uh, um, represent the um, more Dutch kind of approach to it, let's say, okay? And uh, the hazes and everything incorporates with it because uh, it's the cradle, actually, of the modern hybrids more, eh? or like the hybrids from before where the modern hybrids are made from. So uh, Amsterdam is more like, a, yeah, like I say, a metropolitan for, you know, it, it magnetized a lot of people throughout the world for years to come uh, to the city to, you know, to be involved in uh, the cannabis because they also love getting higher. So it's like this. And so it got like a, a, a brewery, a mix of uh, great people that coming about and like, you know, like really... Uh, try to grow good wheat and enhance the gene pool and whatnot. So, you know, it's a good thing. But that goes for the whole of Holland. Eh? Amsterdam is the heart of it. You know, you have also Rotterdam and then the Brabant area and the South, Limburg and Sealand, where actually also a lot of people and you have coffee shops there. So, you know, but Amsterdam has this alluring thing to it because it's uh, the capital of uh, Holland and it's a nice, cozy city, you know. I mean, coffee shops, you know, it's renowned, okay. So it's a good thing. But I wouldn't call it necessarily only Dutch, this uh, approach there in Amsterdam, considering the cannabis market. If you want more Dutch, you have to you know, go into the country and maybe go to the south or to the north. And then you have a, a better uh, assumption of what truly Dutch coffee shops are and what they serve. Okay. I, I must say, because, um, you know, I, I encountered these things. So cannabis came into my life in the late 80s, mid to late 80s. And then I got in touch with Hayes in like 93, in the early 90s. And when I first smoked my Hayes joint in 93, I was, yeah, I was so impressed by it. I was like, I want to have this. Okay, what is it? And I want to meet these people who are like, Whoa, what? <laughs> so, you know, it was so... From that day on, I was into haze, and so there was no rival to it, so to speak. So we kept it also in a, in a tight group of people, eh, in, a, in a tight crew, because it wasn't so uh, widespread available, let's say. But I really felt for the haze. And so what else emerged from um, other cannabis, I followed up on it. And uh, But once you, like, I started cultivating uh, haze in 93 also, and so when you start cultivating plants like this, these old heirlooms, and you try another variety, you're like not impressed by it at all. So you kind of yeah, ditch it and you know, we stay to the haze like loyal, true haze freaks. <laughs> and so nothing else could compare. So whatever the story about the white widow is, I don't know, you know, I don't know. And uh, so, but Ingemar plays a part in it, I think a very big part. And uh, so... I think it's not a bad variety. I like all cannabis. Eh? Let's make no mistake. So for me, all cannabis is good, eh? but I have my own personal preference and like this NLD kind of thing. First, it was the old heirlooms that I encountered. And from, from there, my knowledge also grew and I got uh, yeah interested in the NLD and the, the more psychoactive tropical varieties, okay? Because these plants... Yeah, they have character. They are jungle plants, okay? They're not like these yeah, uh, uniform, more tweaked plants to, I don't know. So it's a different league. So I go for the jungle plants any and every day. It's like my personal preference. <laughs> I love that. What a beautiful sentiment. Uh, I'd love to ask you, you know, you just mentioned it. What are some jungle varieties, as you put it, uh, you might recommend to people who are looking to expand their palates but have only ever really had sort of more modern representations of cannabis? 
Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's that's you know when you start growing these other varieties and you have to go to a haze. Well, usually they don't. Well, that's a totally different league. Eh? So they normally they try it once or twice and then they ditch it because like yeah they're not used to like having these jungle plants around. So you know if you if you want to cultivate wheat or you're like a real passionist and you usually go for the varieties you want you prefer yourself. Eh? And for me, it was the hay. So the first seeds I sprouted was actually skunks. It was 1991. And so then I moved to Spain for a little while and there was not any marijuana there, not anything. So I had to grow my own to have some because it was all hashis there also. And so uh, I was in favor because back then we had some good grass here in the coffee shops in Holland too. Eh? but uh, not the haze. And when I uh, encountered the haze, I was like so blown away by it. I wanted to, you know, uh, smoke it. And I then smoked so much of it that these people kind of said, man, seriously, you take so much, maybe you should grow some. Eh? <laughs> and that's how it then eventually, uh, I became then a, a cultivator of these varieties. And it's hard to go back, you know? I mean, like you have a personal preference. I like these plants so much. The other plants don't impress me so much. Not to say that they are not nice, but cultivation is like, yeah, I got, yeah, I, I just love to tame these wild beasts, you know, and get them into like it's 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 fantastic. But it takes longer and a lot of more care. Eh? So a lot of cultivators they also want to more guarantee their um, result, so to speak. So then um, the modern varieties, well, they are easier to grow. Eh? So. You have more like, um, and they don't take so long. So in that kind of aspect, I can only, uh, you know, I encourage any ganja growing, no matter what strains they put under the light or the sun, for that matter, even better. So all marijuana is good to me. But uh, personally, yeah, I would recommend to try some um, of these great ganja plants, these queens, they're really special. <laughs> I love it. What a beautiful sentiment. I guess one of the questions we do get from our listeners very often is they're sort of after like recommendations and the, the question I hear a lot is that there are people who are keen to sort of dip their toes in the waters of the NLD varieties and they're like, look, you know, I'm happy to run something that goes a bit longer. I just want to experience the feeling that, you know, guests describe on the show. Do you have anything that you might be able to recommend that's like 100 days or less? Yeah, well, oh, it depends on personal preference also. Eh? But uh, if you want to have a haze, then you should grow a proper haze, I think. Eh? What's available on the market? Well, there are a lot of people that are doing nice uh, small things, let's say. Okay, It's more like in the realm of uh, the people that really have heart for cannabis. You know, when you industrialize um, this uh, our, you know, passion, let's say, you lose something also eh, a little bit. That's only normal. Eh? I'm not opposed to anything, uh, but you know, when you work hundred thousand plants or you work a hundred, well, it's a world of difference. Let's say, okay, it's like with making wines or like the the, the finest things of life, Cuban cigars, you name it. Okay, single malt whiskeys, whatever, champagnes. Um, whatever you want, there's finesse in, in everything, okay? If you want finesse, then you have to grow it. And so these heirlooms represent it. But there are many other land races. For example, you like the Thai. 
which actually I think it's more coming from Laos or something, okay? That's also debatable. But anyway, we all have our personal preference, okay? And uh, if we can cultivate that, well, then you have what you want. Eh? And so it's, uh, it depends what you want, okay? So, um, yeah, with like super silver haze is still around. Mango haze, I personally find mango haze one of the better varieties and they are also a little bit more uh, easy to grow. And um, so the wildness, the vigor is a little bit um, less. So they're more practical for like the average grower, so to speak, you know, and it's a nice variety. I think I like it very much in high and um, things like that I would recommend. And also, of course, the things that I'm working on myself, you know, with, uh, what I do now is collaborating with uh, the original Dump Cream Coffee Shop in Holland to make some uh, small breeds and then offer some... Uh, some unique lines to the to the public, you know, to access and to be able to grow them. But they will be also around 100 days, give and take. Eh? It depends on the phenotype. I like them wild, so I like my seeds to be like the authentic thing that can have also this um, uh, vibe to them, like from the hay side, you know what I mean? That's what we all aim about, eh? to enhance the haze or like to preserve it as good as we can, this high, this feeling, okay? Because it's a certain unique vibe to it. You can't explain. It's more deep, let's say, okay, than any other um, high. It's a sativa hybrid or like an NLD hybrid variety. And so what it is, it's debatable, but it's clearly like fire, okay? We all agree on it. And once you love it, well, you want it. And so, but there are Tibetan varieties, for instance, that are also really nice also. But yeah, you have a land-raised variety growing indoors. Well, it will change, okay? You know, so to have a hash cultivar in a hash uh, environment in the, you know, in the mountains of uh, Tibet, well, there it thrives, let's say, if you take it out or from seed and it's sand here and you put it in, uh, you know, under uh, indoor conditions, well, you get a totally different expression in it and it's therefore not necessarily better, okay? So, but on the, what's on the market, you know, I, uh, you know, look at to the passionados, I would always say, you know, like, uh, and uh, there are nice things on the market. I think the gene pool by people that are preserving plants and, you know, bringing them what they preserved, uh, making it available. So it enhances the gene pool a lot. And that's uh, something very important, I think, towards the future, you know, like cannabis is going to revolutionize the world because this plant is so versatile, it's amazing. So we need to, the broader humanity needs to educate itself a little bit more. But it will come and uh, the interest grows and that's a good thing. But uh, like the immaturity of like the market, it's some, sometimes saddening, okay? And that amplifies also like things. So everything is in continuous flux, like I say. So things evolve and now we have this latent hemp thyroid that is uh, also a nuisance actually because uh, a lot of things are being shipped worldwide now. And so this latent hemp thyroid, it's not really detectable for the average grower, let's say. But once it's in your plant and you utilize the same scissors, for instance, to for uh, you get an infected plant and you're not aware of it, while it infects your whole library in a, a year time, you can throw it away. Yeah? And so there are a number of people in the industry that's uh, putting their heads into the sand and don't want to hear about it, but it's a real threat, okay? And we should really pay attention and educate ourselves 
and um, you know to keep it uh, free because this uh, viroid wow it's a potential threat to uh, to certain varieties okay and if we uh, don't uh, make the good precautions it could be a threat okay since everything is sent abroad and not being checked well i see a lot of plants that are infected and you know so there's a big discussion and people are not aware of it it's the aids of plants eh? and it's kind of like the similar vibe to it like it's like a, a taboo almost okay no it's not it's a reality and you know it needs simple pre precautions you just need to clean your tools with bleach and then you know you can safeguard it but uh, so if you have uh, things sent to you, I would say to everybody in the cannabis industry, pay attention, okay? Because it can ruin your credentials and uh, endanger, endanger preservists and preservation towards the future, okay? Wow, I feel like you must have uh, my list of questions. You just touched on so many great talking points. We'll have to loop back on several of them. But I mean, while we're on the topic... The hoplite environment does certainly seem to have sort of died down out of the mainstream zeitgeist and discussion and feels like it's sort of like a bit out of sight, out of mind. What's, what is the state of things like in the EU at the moment from your perspective and what's your sort of biggest fear in regards to the viroid? Because I, I too share similar concerns. Yeah, the problem is that, uh, well, in most European countries, the official legislation to cultivate uh, recreational cannabis is still not implied eh? So we're still waiting on it, and it's only uh, like the medical market that can do it. That means that we cannot lab test our equipment. You can uh, in Holland, it is available, but it's quite expensive, okay? And so a lot of people don't do it, but so there are a lot of things getting shipped worldwide now. And so it's a potential threat, and it's that's why I want to talk about it, because um, people don't want to hear so much about it. And so it's a, it's also like powdery mildew and other things. It's visual, so you can assess it immediately, or like spider mites or any other pest. Well, this viroid, not so. It's like, you know, you think this plant is healthy, and then it deteriorates over like a half year, say, when it puts it on the veg. Then you will see it, but then it's too late, especially if you make seeds with it, because you send it worldwide to make seeds. Well, its progeny will contain at least 30% of it, of the seeds will be also um, containing this viroid, but potentially also infecting, again, other cannabis uh, gene pools and genomes. And so it's important we keep that a little bit in check, okay? Especially if we're going to revolutionize the world with it. Well, we have to you know, be prudent about it, okay? Let's say it's not like... Uh, it's just a pest as any other, but uh, rinsing your tools, for instance, with some bleach, it takes a little bit more effort and time maybe, but it's well worthwhile, okay, to keep everything a little bit healthy. So it's like with uh, any other organism, right? If you truly love it, you want to be able to, that it's, you know, in the best condition as possible. And so it's not to be something underestimated. And I see... Uh, in the industry from top to zone to bottom let's say people in it that uh, you know, they preferably not want to talk or uh, they say oh, our plants are cut clean while well, I'm like mm, you know <laughs> yeah so I'm just giving out a shout out to everybody like hey pay attention to this viroid because seriously okay it's a threat and that's it uh, hopefully um, you know we can keep it out of our gardens as good as we possibly can yeah, certainly. You know, I think everyone, obviously, you know, the goal is to try to stop it from getting into their gardens. 
I guess I then wonder, do you think this will be something where we may be able to eventually eradicate it or do you think it'll just become one of those things that like floats around in the background and it's like the flu, like you get it some years, you don't, others? Well, now I see it as a potential threat if people do not you know, take this seriously to lose some uh, potential lines that are available, for instance, because the parentals, once they're infected, well, we cannot make seats with it anymore, okay? Or um, you can make seeds with it, but then you have to really lab test it for it to contain. So there is, we have the technology to um, to um, prevent it and you know to fight it. It's all here. Eh? We just have to do the make the uh, do the necessary. You know, put the effort in, and not um, like um, be lightheaded about it or like uh, rather not hear about it because it's a, it's a, it's a thing that seriously you know if a breeder uh, makes seeds and send it to people and he's not aware of it itself that it's in his parentals well all these people accessing these seeds will have um, plants that contain this virus so in that sense it's like better to um, to um, prevent it than to suffer from it okay so it's just it takes some prevent prevent um uh, you say like uh, things to do and then uh, you know you can sleep uh, sound at night okay so it's not in your library you just have to be uh, you have to rent your tools properly and you have to like um, be aware about it so i would suggest that everybody just pay attention and educate himself or herself a little bit about this fire or to keep it out and uh, so that will assure us that we do not lose uh, seed lines or like you know like genotypes in the cannabis uh, varieties that uh, will then be infected and downgraded and we just have to kill it okay it has to be eliminated then a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And hopefully, you know, it is something that we are able to eliminate in the future. I want to um, I want to talk about some of your breeding, but you know what? I think it'll help first to lay a bit of the groundwork. So why don't we go back to the start? Tell me a little bit about your first experience with cannabis. Yeah, so the first experience was this hashies. Eh? It was at the festival. I was like uh, just 16 or just not, just before I got 16. Anyway, we were at the festival, and so this guy was rolling a joint. I could see it. I see it before, but you know, it was now close, and it was somebody from my own group of friends or like people I knew, let's say, yeah, the locals. But he was a little bit older, and uh, he saw I was interested, and so like you know, he rolled a joint, and then he said, "Yeah, you want to try it?" And so I did, and this whole festival got kind of yeah, yeah, everything enhanced, you know, the whole uh, sphere and everything. So it was really brilliant, and I really liked the aroma coming from it, okay? So it was mesmerizing, and uh, so the first experience was a really good one. And then, uh, so you get interested, eh? and then uh, I lived close at the border with Holland. So I am uh, not Dutch myself, but I leaped over the border then, say, because, uh, yeah, the tolerance system in Holland, I really liked, okay, and I wanted to get high, and all these hashes available, and I'm like, yeah, 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 this is great, you know. <laughs> so, and, uh, and then uh, it stayed like that, and of course, also uh, wheat, you know, we like both, so we smoked wheat, and we smoked mainly hash. And uh, the wheat back then, it was usually skunk or skunk hybrids, uh, more or less. They were nice, but not really like flabbergasting nice, okay? But we smoked it. We smoked everything, eh? uh, teenagers, you know, how it is. And then, um, like I said, I was a little bit older, like just before I got 20, I was sitting in a bar. It was a normal bar. In some bars in Holland, you could also smoke, you know, uh, like uh, sticky, we call it. It's like a hand-rolled cigarette, but a small one, not a really big joint. And you just like... 
smoke it and it was also tolerated back then, so to speak, okay, and in certain bars anyway. And so this guy comes sitting next to me and I knew him, you know, we knew him uh, from like the going out scene, let's say, okay. And so he said, you want to try something? Uh, what are you smoking? I said, yeah, skunk. I said, yeah, smoke this, okay. I said, what it is? It said, it's haze, A5 haze. So I never heard of it. So I rolled one and I was like, you know, we always rival each other. I'm thinking this guy, <laughs> okay, we'll test it. Okay. Well, I had a little drink also. And really, I went to the toilet. I came back. I was like, what's this? Okay. <laughs> Seriously, you know, I fell in love immediately with it. It was, it was blue. I, I never had weed like that before. Okay. It was like, it blew my mind in every possible way, in every positive way also. So I was like hooked from that moment. And so shortly after, I, uh, you know, I was so interested and uh, blown away by it. So I wanted to meet the people that offered it. And so shortly after, I did. And then so I got into a whole different um, group of people that held hashis and cannabis in a very different way than in the coffee shop or like the more commercial scene in Holland, okay? These were more uh, also, they were older than me. They were like um, the age of, they were the Dutch hippies, let's say, okay? And more activists also, uh, very uh, political engaged. And, you know, they wanted to also reform Holland and they believed in this plant also and the hashis and everything and tolerated system. We all always dreamed in that, you know, the early 90s that it would be legal by 2020 at least, okay? Like 2000, we thought, in the best case scenario. And uh, it still didn't, it still hasn't happened here. Like, what? We are waiting forever. But anyway. This uh, completely aside, so I was so blown away by it. And so I, 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 I loved it. And my friends also loved it. So I was like getting this haze for everybody. Okay. They were all like back in the day. So there was no competition for this weed because this group of people I encountered, well, they tapped into them, these cultivars. So they were the first to grow it to really full potential. Okay. And that's, so then it shines. And then it becomes what it should be, you know, because if you don't know how to cultivate it, well, it can be a stack of hay also. So, you know, but these people really were the first to, you know, produce this haze to full potential. And it was, it blew our minds back then and we fell in love. And so it grew from there and I started cultivating short after. And so, um, yeah, it was a fantastic time throughout the 90s. There was really a lot of hope and prosperity and, and you know, looking at the future, uh, it would all change in a, in a good way. And actually, you know, that uh, the legislation got actually far worse uh, with the coffee shops booming out. And uh, so it kind of got out of control. Eh? A lot of French and Belgian people and German people, they flooded the Dutch borderlines to get their beads and hash there. And so like Europe you know, was facing a little problem there. Eh? And so the, the Dutch government got tapped on their shoulder like, hey, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, all our youngsters are going buy drugs in your country. It must stop, okay? So they made like crazy legislation then to reform the border areas while Amsterdam and the Rotterdam area were then in a different kind of legislation while the whole country was actually under the same legislation. So it's like, you know, it's like the most surreal thing ever, okay? <laughs> you cannot, nobody makes up shit like this, okay? <laughs> 
you just gotta laugh with it and think like, all right, well, we have to wait a little bit longer there to just like cultivate out in the open, okay? But we still do, we, we kept it to the hobby spheres here. Also for us, it's a passion. It's not really, it's a lifestyle more. It's like, you know, it's not something we do for to enrich ourselves, uh, to share money-wise, you know what I mean? I mean, we all want comfortable lives, but that's not the aim. The aim is to get high as motherfuckers and to benefit from it and to bring something to the table for others that can say, hey, man, this is really something unique, okay? And we try to maintain that finesse and, and you know, it's a niche thing. Eh? It's only for the people that really like it, okay? And, uh, well... So a lot of people also, they get anxious or paranoid from it and they kind of steer away from it. Like they prefer a little push or cake. It's all good. Eh? <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> what an epic story. So many details I feel like we need to touch on. I guess the first one is this crew you're talking about, are they the uh, the people online referred to as the A5 crew? And as a follow-up, did they ever tell you like the story of getting the cutting? Yeah, well, so these people were passionados, and uh, so they lived in the same area where Neville did his first work. And one of them, there were actually three people, one of them, he was, uh, so Neville and him became friends. <clears throat> and because these people were in the, you know, they, they, they were... Uh, so they loved psychedelics, let's say, but uh, first and foremost, hashies, they were really hash lovers, okay, and uh, the, the top quality varieties. So uh, uh, these top shelf quality hashies, they also uh, yeah, impressed Neville, okay. So he smoked some of it, and uh, so they got... Um, uh, acquainted more better, let's say, okay, by the Hashis. And so then they became uh, social to each other. And so Neville actually uh, provided these cuttings also, like uh, to share them with, also to get a better uh, grips on his own breedings because these people cultivated it to, um, you know, to deliver some haze on the market. And uh, so that helped them also to maintain maintain their uh, uh, top quality hash trade. So uh, it was all kind of in that regard that there was this exchange was being made back in the day, okay, when the Neville did his first breedings. And these people got handed out uh, five phenotypes of every uh, breed line. And so they kept them or like more. I'm not sure of that, you know, how many they actually. Um, so these people are older than me. I always kind of looked up to them with the greatest respect. They were really nice, lovely, you know, like regular people that did it from their house. Okay. They didn't have a coffee shop. Well, one of them later did have, but, you know, so it was a different, it was more a family thing. I like to say, you know, like really a group of friends that share things with each other. But um, so they were, the first to really realize how important these plants were, okay? They were also the initiators of the preservation then, then uh, we, in our little collective here, and some people also in a different part of the site took upon themselves to safeguard it. When later, in the, around the millennium change, uh, the legislation in Holland changed so hard and these people were targeted by... Uh, uh, justice really hard, okay, and so then everything came to uh, an end, the glory days, and so 
then uh, yeah, we salvaged what we could salvage from uh, that um, brutal error and uh, went underground with it, okay, to safeguard it and preserve it for over all these years because, yeah, we, we always recognized the initiators especially, but we also, the smokers that, you know, like could tap into it and then later cultivate it, we all uh, recognize the sheer uh, unprecedented extraordinary power that resides in these plants, okay? And so the high speaks for itself, the plant's morphology, when you grow it and you compare it to like other breed spots, <laughs> it blows well, most cultivars away, okay? But you have to know how to cultivate them. Otherwise, they just keep on growing and then like you have a lot of uh, vegetable, of vegetable growth, but not really the flowers you're looking at. Eh? So it's not for everybody, I guess. I was privileged and uh, I'm blessed to, you know, like this happened and it, it was more like a Southern Dutch thing. Uh, Neville, with his breeding, took it later to Amsterdam, and so that was his breeding. But so the preservation of the old clones, it was done in the South by people that really, you know, like uh, love these plants so much. Like I said, for me, these plants are like family, okay? We've been keeping them around, uh, you know, it initiated from the day Neville bred them. So it's like mid to end 80s, and then later, like uh, 1991. And then the exchanges were made. And so like from there on, we kept them around. And uh, when uh, uh, justice then um, hit these people hard, um, yeah, we took it, uh, we, we tried to save what was salvageable and took it underground and, uh, you know, uh, preserve it for future. Uh, and we also wanted to, in our stash, so we, so we love these plants, you know what I mean? So we, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you're, it's almost like your children eh? and nobody takes it away. Okay. You care for it, you protect it. You, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not a, so it's also a collective thing. Eh? We, we cannot do it alone. So thing like that, eh? because people get radiated or you, know, you, you have pests or like something happens, you know, we all have our lives. So, you know, we all have our dramas in life and whatnot. So, you know, uh, by this collective effort, we are, uh, wow. It's been a, a, a remarkable journey keeping these uh, heirlooms now uh, still into uh, our uh, human reality, let's say. And it's a great thing, you know. Every time I talk on them, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so we, we, it was a privilege, but also a severe challenge. And it's good that they are there. Eh? So now they are made available for a broader public. And, you know, a lot of people can access them better and better uh, in one form or the other. Okay. And that's a good thing. That's what I, for me, it's all about that. Preserving them, meaning also shipping them to places where, you know, they have legal grounds to have, you know, to be preserved for, for longer than just us. These plants will be around when we are not. <laughs> Imagine that. That's the best case scenario. Of course. What an epic story. I love that. I, I've got to ask, uh, you mentioned a few times that you've, you've made your best efforts to preserve what was salvageable. Which cuttings do you have? As far as I had heard, it was like the A5, the C5, the hash plant haze. Were there any others? Yeah, there's the G13 crossed to the Haze A that uh, we managed to safeguard, thank God. And then there is, of course, the Neville's Haze. It's also uh, one of 
the first uh, Neville's hazes ever, okay, that was selected for its certain uh, yeah, uh, morphology and everything from back in the day, okay. But like I said, back in the day, it really stood out to other plants, you know, like these people that uh, loved them so much and could tap into this. So there were people around them with green thumbs, and eh? Holland is, uh, uh, so the Dutch are really good in... Uh, uh, Hydroculture, let's say, okay, like whatever it is, okay, like so. There uh, is a university also uh, that is really uh, one of the top leading universities in like uh, the science behind uh, how to cultivate crops, okay. And so they this knowledge from the Dutch then and combined with the ability to tap into these genetics properly, well, so then it could manifest it to what it was. And uh, so, like, uh, it has to be grown to, uh, to, to proper to really make it shine. Eh? And that's why the commercial scene rather stay away from it, because when you fuck it up, well, yeah, you're a half year uh, further and you don't have any proper return. Well, you can only do it twice. Eh? If you fuck up twice, yeah, you're a year <laughs> further. Well, if you have a big investment and you don't uh, get a return in one year, you have a problem, okay? So they all go for the more easy return. Eh? It's a commercial thing. I can understand it. Okay. So haze is not so easy to be capitalized on, uh, except when it's grown to with the other, with people that are really can, you know, that they know what they're doing, so to speak. Okay. And then it can manifest itself to something really beautiful. But, you know, like I said, it's not for everybody. So it's always a niche market, let's say. Okay. But for me, um, it's uh, one of the maybe the key elements also that ha helps us enable us to maybe, you know, have a little influence now on human awareness that, yeah, the hashi is okay. It's all about that. But people just do not get it so much. But believe me, hashi is the pinnacle of cannabis, okay? Once you really understand it, you know, it's like you, you understand it, okay? So ganja is great too. Eh? I mean, I love it. Eh? Don't <laughs> so, but it's a different. So it's more spiritual for me. Let's say, okay, it has a deeper level. It has a something uh, sacral to it. You know, something sacred. And um, ganja also. Every cannabis uh, has it. Okay, more or less. But these are these the ones I love. They have it in a certain higher degree. That's why I love also. I love psychedelics myself too. Okay, I think psychedelics in the future also will be uh, very important to uh, pave the way uh, in human uh, awareness and consciousness. Eh? Because this world, seriously, in this day and age, people are still beating the shit out of each other. I'm like, hey, maybe you know, I'll smoke a joint. You know, seriously, and uh, you know, seriously, okay. So this plant for me is like really important to bring it uh, into, uh, yeah, to make it more accessible to for, for people, okay? No matter how they take it, I think it's a very good uh, uh, ally in, uh, in our voyage here on this planet, okay? We need to listen to it really and educate ourselves and uh, yeah, put it more in the foreground. But yeah, it's a struggle. So it's a slow process, but I'm thinking we're gaining some momentum finally. That's good. I think, yeah, you hear ripples about that uh, sort of worldwide currently, which is good to hear. 
that was a an epic array of plants that you know i think these are probably the only remaining plants that like neville selected himself would you agree and as a follow-up could you give the listeners a, a, an overview or a description you know how would you describe each of these plants they sound absolutely legendary you know i first want to say this eh? so and back in that day, when these plants were first uh, created, let's say, and uh, exchanged, so they were a new thing, and they were like, the, yeah, it was like it blew everybody away, let's say, okay. Then, like I said, Neville went then on, so it was more, he was the breeder, so for him it was making seeds. Well, these people in the South, well, they had a different approach, okay, so they embraced these plants in a different regard. That's why they kept them secure and safe and also secluded from um, the more commercial realms in Holland back in that day. I mean, okay. <clears throat> it was also these people were not looking for any spotlight, okay? They, they didn't want any uh, green merchant thingy going on on them. And like, you know, they were just wanted to smoke and get high and like, you know, have the best weed and hash available. And so... Um, <clears throat> They embraced these plants with a different attitude, so they became the first preservist of it. And then later, we took it upon ourselves to, like I said, salvage what's salvageable because we also love these plants by then so much. And so preserving these plants, well, it has a different... I didn't know what I actually was preserving. Uh, I knew that they were uh, like um, haze hybrids. And uh, for them... They always said that the NL5 haze hybrids were the best, so like C5, A5, and Neville's haze, <clears throat> or had the highest quality and potential. But also with the G13 and the hash plant, they were nice cultivars. Back then, you had also Durban cross to uh, haze, these haze varieties. And they, so we lost that. You also the CG13, we lost that. I've, we lost here in the vicinity then the A5 due to mislabeling. And uh, later I hooked up with some people that were um, um, had interactions with the same people I had interactions with in the centrum of the South, so to speak. And they were thankfully able to uh, preserve the A5 that we lost. And so we then were able to preserve the uh, AG13, the hash plant haze, uh, the Neville's haze and the C5 haze. And uh, yeah, we kept, the, these were the best. So they were the queens of all. So over time, some hurt, some were like less resilient. And, you know, like, uh, so over time, a lot of things happened. Okay, they've been cloned so many times. A key element in like keeping them healthy for us was also, you cannot um, keep plants under artificial light continuously. Okay, so you have to revitalize them preferably each year and so we take them like um, in the springtime here we have an ideal veg climate late spring and uh, early summer and then we can put them like two three months outdoors in the in soil and you know get them sun and get them you know like in in the outdoors so they revitalize and then we clone them again and take them indoors to um, be able to um, keep them um, vital throughout the winter, okay? Because they won't survive out there. And that's how we do it and kept them uh, in, in good shape. But um, the preservation of these plants, well, so, and usually in the cannabis 
quote-unquote industry, there are like two streets, eh? they say breeding and uh, cultivation, uh, and or, okay? But I think preservation is actually the one that um, exceeds uh, or tops these two because preservation, whether it's in seed form or uh, especially in plant form, well, it's a very, you know, important thing. If you have an extraordinary heirloom that's really you know blows your mind let's say or you have more of them well you want to preserve them of course plants phenotypical expressions preserving like we did is of course different than seeds with seeds you never know what comes out of it but it's equally important but plant preservation well it's a living organism you have to keep alive over all these years and if you have a multitude on it well it's not such an easy thing when you're working in a in a climate that fights grows continuously and harasses like you know and uh, considers us to be a criminal and we're like what (laughs) it's like are you kidding me it's a plant okay yeah and then by the way here is a coffee shop you can buy it there so why can I not grow it it's like a little bit strange okay but anyway I'm not complaining because the Dutch still are tolerant towards it so like the penalties for it it's like okay but it's changed also eh? so now your house can be taken away and stuff like that so it's not really getting better and it's time for the legislation to just change so that and they have to learn from like the alcohol uh, industry you have microbreweries and you have big ones so yeah it's each to their own like you know like you have single malts and that model of doing business would fit cannabis really good i think okay especially here in europe but yeah they consider it still as a, a drug and eh? so it's like <laughs> i don't know what it is okay i need they all they all need to smoke some haze man that's what i think and then it will maybe you know get a little quicker because seriously okay so it's a very immature market and it's a sad thing when you're a mature smoker in this <laughs> kind of thing, okay? But anyway, it is what it is. Uh, let's make something beautiful out of it, okay? Wow. <laughs> Look, I can only imagine all the effort it's taken to preserve those cuts over the years in the climate you described. So kudos to you, my friend. And I mean, on that point itself, you know, you've just given us a great tip about how to store plants long term, you know, with the revitalization. We did have a lot of listeners chime in and say, you know, do you have any other tips you might have for preservationists to help keep cuts around in the long term? Are there any other little tips or tricks for keeping them happy, maybe in the indoor period? Oh. When you're working under legislation that are unfriendly, then you have to do it in a group collective because if you're the only one and you get raided or whatever in the worst case scenario, or you have a pest and it dies or something, well, you don't have any backups. So backups are important. If you really want to preserve a certain cultivar, you need to have it at different locations, you know, even in legal climates, by the way, because, you know, somebody can get like a latent hemp fire out or what, and it's not aware. And, you know, like, so backups are important and, you know, like keep them healthy, you know, like don't overfeed them, like, and keep them short and, you know, like uh, make new cuttings regularly. So everything is optimized as good as possible. I usually do like two generations during the winter time, and then that generation, uh, the third, will go outside when I make cuttings. Huh? So to keep my moms as fresh and in mint condition as possible, because under artificial light, it deteriorates, okay? You cannot keep plants forever happy, no matter in what soil and so. It sinks a little bit, it gets hard. I keep my moms usually on soil, not on hydro, because um, I think it's a better buffer and it's also more organic. So it's a better way 
and um, yeah, I have multiple cuttings of each uh, cultivar that you want to protect also. So not only one, because if something happens with it, you lose it. And so uh, keep uh, good, uh, uh, keep them happy, okay? So keep them green, let's say, and don't overfeed. I usually like rainwater for the majority and like um, uh, organic fertilizer. And uh, sometimes I'll give them a little salt like I do for hydro to give them a little boost, like when I want, want to make cutting, for instance. So then I'm like letting them veg a little longer. So I'm a, I do small operations. Eh? So for me, cutting making is not such a, a big thing. So I can do it uh, like more... Uh, so I can keep my things um, as vital as I possibly can. And over the years, yeah, you accumulate also a little bit of knowledge. So I keep them also bonsai styled. I don't like big moms because big moms will only produce like uh, possible pests, you know, and they breed a lot and, you know, so they damp a lot. By keeping them smaller and bonsaiing them and keeping them like healthy, but in a small miniature version, well, you can put more plants also in a smaller location. So it's like, a, it's a practical thing for me as a more hobbyist, let's say, okay, if you have big facilities, it's like, you know, you have to work in these layers of frames. Eh? But um, the important thing is like, yeah, keep them healthy, okay? And don't overfeed. I see a lot of overfeeding in the business. And uh, so uh, you have to really, you know, like um, it's better that they pay out a little bit and you give them some extra so you know what your dose is, at least if you're learning. And um, by that, you know, you see also what the plant needs, for instance. Okay, so it's better to underfeed a tad, see it, and then, you know, um, adapt nutrients than to overfeed it and burn it. Uh, it gives stress to plants and it tends to also... Uh, get into the gene if you stress out a plant too much it can may possibly hermandite on you or whatever okay even if it's in the in the mother plant you're stressing it okay so it's not so good keeping your mother plants in healthy and mint condition is the first thing okay so that's why i say preservation preservation comes first okay and then from there you can you know take cuttings and do some breeding work or whatever or cultivate or whatever okay but first thing is keeping the parentials in mint condition. That's first and foremost, keeping the mom's, the parental stock clean and vital. First thing. Yeah, brilliant sentiment there. I think that's really, really important. And, um, you know, it does take some time to, to, to get a mastery on keeping those mums long term. I have to admit, it's still something I'm always trying to improve on. While we're on the topic of preservation, I wanted to quickly ask you, you know, a, a topic that regularly pops up when we're discussing like some of these older world genetics, especially in the context of stuff that's still on offer today, is this idea that, you know, maybe some of the older um, Amsterdam or Dutch-based cannabis companies have lost some of their mothers over the years and they get replaced with different things, you know. Is this something that you have experienced yourself and do you think there are like any companies on the market like that are still offering sort of that real original old school authentic stock? Well, because I have my select niche interest market, I do not really access these kind of seeds, so I wouldn't know, but I read some on the boards and stuff like that. And so like, you know, 
like I say, preservation is a hard thing when you're working under a climate that, you know, doesn't really promote uh, ganja growing, uh, whether it's uh, parentals or whether it's cultivation, because they all see it as cultivation, the justice department. They see every marijuana plant as a possible uh, money benefit, so to speak. Okay, that's how they target it. And that's how they also um, radio, let's say, okay. So when you're preserving plants and keeping a library, well, it's a nuisance because they destroy everything, okay? And so, um, yeah, so I, I, I think that a lot of people in the, in the Amsterdam you know, or Dutch scene, no matter where they are, they got severely targeted and lost parentals for sure, okay? What kind? I could not say. I can only say that we kept what we kept, and that's, that's for sure. But what others do with their parentals, well, it's up to theirs. And, you know, I see a lot of claims of this and that. So, and then I follow up on the people that access them. And then you can see and establish for yourself which is what and what you do. So, you know, like uh, there's a wise man once said that, uh, you know, uh, people lie plants, uh, or like people lie plants, not then. They don't lie. So the plants will reveal everything you want to know about certain pedigrees and plants, uh, possible loss of parentals with certain uh, seed brands or whatever. But like I say, it's not usually um, like they want this to uh, to happen. It's like because yeah, you know, it's like you, know, you still get targeted for keeping plants. Eh? So when a library gets or like raided, yeah, you lose it, and then you have to tap in some seed line, maybe that holds the the like a sister or a brother plant to what you had as parental, but it's then a different phenotypical expression and that could tamper possibly the, the seed line that you are making. So the offspring will then uh, be different, let's say. And so over time, over all these years that seeds are being produced and certain seed lines are being offered, yeah, of course, there will be loss of parentals and uh, everything that comes with it. But I cannot point my finger at anybody that's doing it because, well, you know, the privilege of having these plants around is also that when I later then went on the boards and I could understand what we were actually were preserving, and you, then you start meeting people from the world, eh? like, uh, and um, so you get together and. So then you start connecting to people in the in the community that are also doing the same, okay, passionate. Uh, and so I uh, interchange with them mostly to tap into seed lines that I find them interesting. So because of uh, uh, our restrictions here and under this climate that we have to work, we are also, yeah, we have to keep an eye into our plant counts and everything. And that's sometimes a nuisance when you want to tap into seeds. So, but um, from experience, I can say that, you know, like compared to these old heirlooms, you know, it's hard to find the plant morphology speaking. I mean, I don't necessarily say that there are better plants uh, in potency on the market. Okay. But um, but in morphology speaking, like the sheer wild power that is in these heirlooms, well, I tried a lot of seeds. There are only few that can stand next to them and uh, or rival them, okay? So they have a special, unique kind of um, vigor in them, okay? And so um, it's hard to find that in uh, modern seed breeds, okay? 
it's it's like this because everything yeah over the years got over hybridized a little bit eh? so then uh, that's why it's important to have these genetic and pure forms still so really interesting things can to be made eh? i cannot wait to tap into my own uh, seed vault that i have when the legislation will change well there will be something nice to emerge because like i say this network of passionados of people that are you know like uh, also preserving certain genetics that are mind blowing. Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great thing towards the future once the legislation will change. I'm sure. So I'm looking forward to that. Cannot wait. But in meanwhile, we just keep it secluded and do small uh, operations. Let's say, you know, like, yeah, it's like this. Oh, you've you've uh, got my ears perked up now. I want to ask you, you know, if you were in that legal climate you describe, what's, uh, you know, some seeds from the vault you'd be interested in being able to crack, you know, what's some rare seeds that you're looking forward to getting into? Oh, well, you know, like uh, we'll reveal that when it's time, but I could say it's very NLD leaning. And so it's like with cultivars also that been preserved by people like, you know, like, uh, yeah, for me, it's like the NLD varieties, okay? Like, we all know that the haze, uh, it's more derived from Colombian, Mexican, and, uh, you know, like Southeast Asia, that Thai possibly. But there are, uh, uh, yeah, an abundance of um, land races in the world that people have tapped into and also done a little work with to, you know, mix with other things and then, you know, establish something that's also remarkable and can stand on its own, let's say, okay? And so I'm hoping that uh, when the legislation here in Europe starts changing, that this transatlantic and also uh, preferably Australia and actually, you know, like the global, hopefully then uh, it will go global. But let's say, you know, the countries of interest, let's say, well, then we can establish things that are unprecedented eh? because these two worlds will, will then be able to merge in a better way. Okay. Because um, for now, well, I don't have interest into starting an American or Canadian business, let's say, okay, I grew up here, this is my world, and so I'm waiting for this legislation to change. And then uh, it will be, so the hobby work that we do, it holds a certain value, but when you throw, when you want to throw a lot of seeds that you have, you know, and do selections better, also to establish your branches to go for, especially the males, well, you can only do that in a legal framework, okay? And so that's why I'm waiting to do my work here once it's allowed. And for now, yeah, we also do nice work because over the years we were able to refine a certain... Um, so by you, you start reading uh, plants, let's say, okay? And you are better aware of the seed lines that you want to tap into. Eh? I think the Vietnamese and the other Southeast Asians, uh, the Laos and uh, uh, like pure Durban from South Africa, you know, there's some fire there really. That's really remarkable also. And maybe other yeah, Chinese is a little bit difficult. There are certain Afghan varieties also that I like, but, you know, because Afghanistan is a country that makes a lot of hashish, so the hybridization there is also a strong thing. And so I don't, so it's like a little bit, yeah, I'm more a traditionalist in that kind of way, okay? I don't, uh, well, uh, I do not have anything, anything against hybridization because these haze hybrids are also hybrids, I mean, but over-hybridizing, you get, then it blends out too much, okay? 
and you don't go really for that characteristics that are really embedded in a certain strain and in, in like pure form, let's say, you know. So it's diluted and more, and that's a little bit this, uh, uh, what I want to steer away from and more go to the pure things and cross pure things that you can actually say, okay, this is not light 5AC, for instance, C5, cross to Vietnamese black, and then do a large selection out of that. It's also the parability, yeah? So you never know what the uh, progeny will be between two kind of cultivars, how they will inter intermix and how the, you know, the overall, so you have to test it and be aware of it and so you know uh, to do these NLDs so they're all long flowering varieties it takes also a little bit more time to do it properly <clears throat> also the evaluation and whatnot so and that's my goal you know to bring really that finesse to the market once the market will be ready for it okay in the meanwhile I do uh, work and I consider that to be the you know like uh, the foreplay let's say of uh, what's to come let's hope at least uh, i love it and i mean i'd love to hear a little bit about some of the hybrids you offer through the uh current dram king seeds what what are the creations are you responsible for and how would you describe them well you know so i made the mail uh so i created a mail that was c5 so i always liked the c5 very much um in its potency well, uh, I think it's uh, the queen of the hazes in potency-wise, okay? She also delivers nice, but she's very finicky to grow. So when you don't grow it, dial it in, it can be a very leafy cultivar, especially indoors. So uh, it's not the most favorable cultivar to grow, but I like its high when it's really grown to full potential. It's really, so it's the only one I can talk daily, let's say, okay? A5 or Neville haze for me. It's like nice for a little while, but then, you know, like it has this dark exhaustiveness about it that I personally, for my personal preference, do not like so much in my daily routine. When you smoke that shit for too long, well, it puts you in a different realm, let's say, okay? Not the best one for me. So C5 is more like the more playful one, <clears throat> and I always liked it, so... Then I was um, thinking about what to cross with it. So I did some crossings with uh, Malawi first to see if that brings some, um, because the Malawi um, is a more, so it's not really the most loud thing, let's say, okay? It has a certain zang to it, but it's not really loud like cushions or like cakes. And so I thought this African variety would allow me to um, bring some of the C5 into it. And then I made the New Horizon Haze with these males. So that was my first interactions with these plants to make them, um, outcross them to each other, okay? And then uh, I became a member of Mr. Niceboard and he offered 5HC. So it's a different form, but it's in the same family. So I thought I'd tap into uh, these seeds to see if there was an interesting male to make, uh, to cross on the C5 and then have like an IBL more, so, so to speak. But to select a male from that one that could stand to the next to the C5 in terms of morphology speaking, also how it flowers and, you know. And so when I found that, I kept it around and then uh, I started to use it on the AG13. And these plants that uh, came from that, I tested them and oh, they were amazing, okay. So that became the Isaac case that they now offer. It's AG13 cross to C5, 5 Hayes C. And then now uh, we did some work with the Neville's Hayes. 
we use the same male. So it's one male I preserve for uh, the original dumpling because I like these people very much. They're a good, cozy coffee shop in the heart of Amsterdam. And uh, so they're like the old traditional Dutch bringing still the haze like it was, and I like that, you know. And so um, by this good uh, understanding between each other, I um, I uh, in favor of them to, uh, they allowed me, they, they offered me a platform to do some of my own work. So it's actually nice to make these first steps into like the more, quote-unquote breeding spectrum because, well, it's not really breeding, I consider, you know, but I can vouch surely for that's, that there will be some fire in these seeds, okay, and that there will be oh, in these seed lines uh, for sure. So that's my work for now, but like I say, okay, these long flowering cultivars, well, okay, they take long to uh, test and uh, verify and, you know, like to really get into them. So, but it's good that they are made available for uh, the audience so they will have them, you know, the plants will speak for itself, okay? So that's uh, the way I, and I like the C5, so I want to bring that more to the foreground, like the haze C spectrum, let's say. It's a good balance with the, uh, with the haze A uh, in it, I like it. It gives it more, a little bit raciness. But I still select towards the terpene, so the terpenes coming from the C line more than the A line. It's a personal preference. Ah, beautiful stuff. Well, you know, as I mentioned, I love that C five smell, so I'm I'm on board with that. Can I just quickly clarify? Um, did you say that it was uh you got a haze mail from Shanti, or was it an NL haze? NL haze, yes. So an analyze from Shanti, the, the, the 5 C, which is then actually uh, like a half-sister, let's say, of uh, the C5, okay, because it's not the Light 5 version, is a, a different one than the original one back in the day. So then he crossed it to the HC, and that's why I thought it was interesting to merge these two, because in effect, there are two times NL5 HC, let's say. And so from that, it enabled me to, you know, find a male that was really uh, worthy and terpenes and, you know, like leaned really to the, it's like a more or less a C5 IBL male, you know. And so that was then my, uh, that was one I was looking for. And when I tested the progeny, I could see also that I was satisfied with uh, what came out of it. And then this mail became of interest to see what they should bring. There's also the CC top line. It's actually a C5 close to this mail again. So it's all C then, you know, what you get. Yeah, totally. That, that sounds like a really cool mixture of genetics and, uh, there's actually a, a homie of mine, shout out to Eli Cash. He's got um, a, a really nice Isaac Hayes cutting. So there you go. Credit to the work. I, I'm sure a lot of people are interested in hearing because unfortunately, you know, very difficult to get samples of these strains. But how would you describe the A5 and how would you describe the C5 for someone who's never been able to smoke it or smell it? Like what's the smell? What's the effect? Yeah, so C5, there's a lot of uh, fruitiness, also piney. There's some, some yeah, like a, a chemical undertone under it when it's grown. It also depends on how it's grown, okay? 
because in living soil, for instance, it comes out uh, as a yeah a very different uh, thing than on uh, hydro-based uh, salts like we grow them. Okay, so it depends, but it's more like to the fruity lad side of it, you know, like uh, the the terpeno, uh, the the lemonine, let's say. Okay, it's a little bit lemony, like. Uh, uh, I could also uh, refer like the mango haze has a lot of this uh, in it too. Like, you know, this, the haze C is more like the perfumey kind, the floral kind, let's say, okay? While the A5 is more like the liver scented, uh, you know, like this more meaner kind of um, dark, sometimes a little bit fermented. And uh, yeah, so it's like a very darker, but it's, it's a very nice smoke. I think A5 taste-wise, it's really delicious, okay? But the effect I do not like so much, okay? Because it, yeah, it's like, uh, it's like it puts you, yeah, it's just like, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a unique thing, okay? But I like its smokeability, like the that incense, thick smoke you get from a good, well-grown A5, well, it stands out, okay? And uh, its progeny can also be very good, okay? So the A-line is very well, it's a very unique, special uh, haze line that's being preserved, and I like it. So it's good that people can access it and uh, do their own work with it, because that also enhances the gene pool in that regard, you know? These power plants, they really, you know, uh, yeah, they're changing the... the the cannabis industry, as we speak, don't underestimate it. But like I say, it's for the niche. It's a niche market. It's not for everybody, but it's good that Parkle up some other genetics. And um, so A opposed to C, yes. So C is more uplifting, also a little bit soaring. It's also a little bit like this. Uh, so they, they're all NL5 hazes. And so what people sometimes say is that they have this crash in the end, let's say, from coming from the NL5. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's true compared to 100% uh, uh, NLD or some of them. So some 100% NLD can be very soaring high, very, uh, whoa, you know, like uh, uh, it's a leak above the haze hybrid still, okay? But usually they are not the best plants to grow uh, for like yield, let's say, okay? And uh, they also take factor long. So the hybrids are like the middle ground, let's say, between the commercial and the non-commercial, okay? And so, but they still contain that, that strong haze influence, <clears throat> which we like so much. And so A5 is very introspective, okay? It's very, um, yeah, it's better that you, when you're not used to it and you're going to smoke a really well-grown uh, A5 joint for the first time, well, do it secluded somewhere, like, you know, <laughs> you feel at ease and at home and comfortable. It's more like a psychedelic a little bit, okay? Well, the C5 is more friendly yeah, and she's more playful, but also not to be underestimated in, uh, in sheer potency for uh, the novel uh, smoker, let's say, okay? Not for the ones that really are uh, aware of what cannabis is and uh, they can take it more. But when you're used to cushions and cakes and you smoke your first haze joint, well, it can give you a little smack, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's a great way to put it i realized i don't know if i'd actually asked you yet have you ever had much experience with just straight haze in the various incarnations it has yeah well i had the pleasure to uh um, you know encounter people that uh, hold uh yeah also you know, special uh, pure haze lines 
and uh, tap into those to really see uh, what comes out of it. And uh, props to them because, yeah, yeah, they are really like, you know, these uh, plants are like, but like I say, usually they don't deliver so much. So it's like more, um, so it's like more for personal usage. These people are, that are really into it. Like uh, when you grow full hazes to, I don't say they, they don't exist. There's some phenotypical expressions might produce really nice, okay. But um, compared to these hybrids, uh, from my experience, they are more finicky and they are, yeah, they're, they're also different leaking plants. But um, the high that it produces, well, uh, it's like an amazing thing, okay. It's also different. So it's more for really the passionado um, that um, that really uh, wants to get high from these, uh, that truly embraces them. And I know, of course, because I'm a passionado myself, you get to know these people in your uh, community. And, uh, and and then you travel or you go, we have a ferries, Panabis and Barcelona each year. So, you know, like I've been going there for a lot of years now. And uh, there are uh, other fairs too, like uh, 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 and, uh, you know, there's some things in Germany. Germany is looking to legalize it too, or like regulate it anyway. So um, I see a lot of good things happening in that regard. And you meet a lot of people and some people, yeah, you know, like, yeah, they have also fire. It's great, you know, and they're usually not really the the... Yeah, like the, the, the biggest names in the industry or like have the biggest Instagram pages or what they're usually more like, yeah, the people that really, you know, have the passion for it and like, you know, they so we then sit around the table and exchange things and yeah, it's 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 always a great thing, okay, to meet like minded and uh, people that uh, you know and especially the hashis, eh, because I'm always looking for that. Eh? If there's uh, somewhere a passionado with a good piece of really that good old authentic uh, Lebanese, Turkish, or uh, you know, like uh, Nepal, uh, the best case scenario, or, yeah, geopolitical there, it's very tough, okay? These people live under so, so tight regimes, they cannot do what the, the smugglers also not. Eh? So it's time to reform the world so that we can access these hashis again. So shout out for that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. We are a hundred percent ride or die for the hash. I love it. Yeah, um, seriously, okay. These people have been doing it for thousands of years. And you know, with modern technology that we can provide them in the West. So that was also what made the Nepalese that I referred to earlier as the best smoke I ever had. That made it so exclusive because there were people you know, like Westerners there that were like helping, assisting these families to produce an extra quality of hashes, okay? Like to refine it more pure <clears throat> with modern techniques, okay? And that led to a spectacular synergy that provided the best hash I you know, ever was able to access for me personally and my uh, personal realm of reality. I do not say that other people have maybe also treasures in their pockets. But for me, that was the pinnacle of cannabis, okay? And so I'm sure it's possible to make it there. But yeah, you know, like now Nepal is not such a you know, uh, stable area, sadly. So um, it's, uh, yeah, we hope to change that in time, okay? Let's hope and pray. So we can access this marvelous thing again, okay? Because it's really something unique and very, you know, it's a treasure of humankind also, okay? And we need to learn from it and respect it. But yeah, so like I say, okay, small steps towards the future, man. And hopefully a giant leap soon. 
A hundred percent. I think we all can get on board. We would all love to try some of that Nepalese hash you describe. It sounds like it's uh it's gonna be worth the wait. But I just want to quickly loop back because the the listeners will be very upset if I don't ask. You know, can we grab a quick description in the same way you described the A five and the C five of the hash plant haze, the Neville's haze, and the AG thirteen? Yeah, well, the AG13 and the hash plant haze, they are more like um, Afghani influenced, okay? But they are really also two haze expressions, let's say. The hash plant haze, it has this remarkable hashy taste to it. And it was very stoned uh, uh, haze, okay? It was the stonedest of all. So it was really like, it's a different stone than for you could say that you get stoned from A52, but it's like more obliterating, like, okay. But this one was really, it cracked you down. The Afghan was strong, let's say, in the hash plant haze. And it delivered like um, this giant calyxes also. It's like a unique cultivar, very shining, very abundant in resin also. Um, but um, harder to grow, so like a little bit more, less power to it than compared to the anal hazes <clears throat> in terms of uh, sensitivity, because when you grow it right, it has power, but it's more sensitive, let's say. Uh, the AT13 is a, it's a, also a very unique blend. It's more like a musky kind of type haze um, to smoke. Um, I I prefer it. For me, it's the best haze A hybrid uh, in the spectrum of um, these old cultivars, or at least uh, what I consider to be the best haze A crossing was uh, AG13, because the G13 gives more like a relaxed tone to all this haze madness, let's say, okay, especially coming from the side. And so it it dampers it. It's like, you know, it's like a, a really good combination. It's more medicinal, I think, also, okay? It's like an ideal smoke to uh, to have when you're, like, not feeling good and you want to, you know, first do something. Initially, it gives you this flash, but then it goes, it's more relaxing, okay? It's more kind to, to um, compare to A5. So I think it's a better balanced uh, haze hybrid in all sense. I like that the most from the A side. And yeah, the hash plant haze, like I said, okay, it's a very finicky plant to grow. Also, it's not really popular on the agenda for most cultivators. They all kind of like, it's also what the market demands. Eh? So the market usually demands A5 and Neville's haze because that's the two most powerful ones. And so the C5 and then the hash plant haze, there's not so much demand for it because it has to be grown to full potential to really be appreciated for what it is. And so a lot of growers, excuse me, that attempt to grow it and fail a couple of times, well, they don't want to grow it anymore. Eh? So they would rather go to the A-lines, AG13, now says um, A5, because um, in that sense, well, it, uh, it needs different parameters to get to full potential than the C-lines. Uh, and so they're uh, more a little bit more practical, I think, okay? They have other complications, let's say, but so they are also more rock solid in bud formation. And while um, the sea line tends to go a little bit more open flowerly when you're not uh, cultivated to full potential. And in the worst case, it turns to hay, like I say. So if that happens to a cultivator paying in like four or five months, also putting in the effort and the cost and nothing comes in return because it's a haystack, yeah. 
is not going to grow it again, let's say. <laughs> or you have to be really good motivated. <laughs> so well, it's like this. Eh? So the A-hybrids, they have more appeal also for the people. So they like the flash and bang, so to speak, eh? that obliterating feeling. Yeah? It's like popular. Eh? To, but uh, to really delve into the finesse, finesse of haze, I think the, the seaside is more... Um, but over the years, it got more hybridized with like shorter flowering varieties. And so actually they bred away from the haze instead of enhancing it more in Dutch terminology then because it was more uh, practical to grow. Eh? So they want to flower time from going 14 weeks to let's say 11 weeks, 10 weeks, but still with the haze hang into it. And then, um, yeah, you start selecting for that and uh, for commercial purposes more. Well, we are being, we kind of dig it so much and we also know how to grow it that we keep these plants to ourselves and cultivate them. And we are like a little bit the last of the Mohicans, I think, in that regard because, um, but now it shines back again, like I say, okay, because this is a solid value in the, like, the cannabis community, these hazes. And yeah, and they will be forever there because when you grow it to full potential, well, you know, you can throw it on the table and no matter what anybody carries, they will say like, wait, this is unique. You're like, what? <laughs> That's really <laughs> nice. That's the way how you connect also with uh, people in the community. And uh, that's a great thing, you know. I, uh, yeah, it's been a been a, a crazy ride over the years with my uh, beautiful cultivars and the people I have met by them. That's awesome to hear. I think, uh, you know, in the midst of that epic answer, I heard you mention that the Neville's Haze is one of the more potent ones. Can you give us just a quick overview of the smell and the effect? Because I know that it's it's one you really don't see a lot in the modern scene, and so people find it very elusive. Yeah, so, well, it depends on also the set and setting with these uh, smokes. Eh? So when you are in a comfortable set and setting, it can be very uh, pleasant initially. Let's say, okay, the soaring high, you really connect and you get into something and you're like completely in the zone. But if you then have to go to pick some groceries in the shop and you step outside, you're like, what? <laughs> like this, because like then it hits you how high you how high you actually are, you know. And that can produce some anxiety with people, you know, like it's like this when you're used to smoking it. But I found it very so it does something to your mind frame. Um, you know, like it's an awareness, eh, this plant. So it, it tampers with your awareness. Like getting high, there's so many varieties in it. But these special varieties, well, they're unique. But I think the Neville's Haze and the Haze A lines, they are very dark, you know. They are like, they're nice to indulge in for a little while. But then you kind of like, yeah, you lose it a little bit, okay? I mean, like you because you live too much in your own world or something because, yeah, you know, like it's hard to maintain like a daily job and you talk this weed on a daily basis, okay? Because you step into this different realm. If you're an artist and you can produce art, it's maybe nice. But when you have to work uh, as an IT agent and you have to put your mind, I think it's just not, you know what I mean? So... <clears throat> I wouldn't say haze, uh, you know, for me, it's of course a passion and it became my life. But so you have to have a little bit of this passion also to appreciate it and to like, yeah, I don't know, like, uh, 
live it like we do, okay? But uh, I would not advocate it to smoke um, it daily when you're not ready for it. So you have to really uh, want it in your life and love it. Otherwise, it can do alluring things with you. And it still does for me once in a while too. That's why I love the Band-Aid Hey 7, number 7 so much because it has the depth and um, um, vigor. It has all, it ticks all the boxes, but so it has a more friendly high to it okay so it's less exhaustive also okay so it's very dreamy like mushroom wheat but in the best way possible it's very kind and a5 and nettle says they aren't kind so each plant has this temperament let's say and so the temperament of the nettle says and the a5 well, well not so much okay that's not my lady to go to, to to go dancing with every night because she's ruthless okay she throws me around like shit so i'd rather have like a, <laughs> you know like a, a different thing it's nice for a joint eh? you know you get high and a few hours later it's gone but still you know so like uh, the a5 lingers too long you know like it, it puts you a little bit in this uneasy feel and the navel haze well it fucks you up in your mind okay you know what's also the thing is i think with these more psychedelic or like uh, so they're more spiritual embedded and so they increase your awareness of things which is not always easy because, well, we live in a brutal society, okay? And so when you're motherfucking high all the time and you look at what <laughs> the human concept is and what we make of it, well, it's sometimes mind-boggling, let's say. You're like, what? Maybe smoke the joint and get high because then it's nice. Like I say, when you sit around the table with a lot of people comfortable and you share a joint like that or at a campfire or a festival or like, you know, in these best-case scenarios, it really can, you know, enhance your experience so much, okay? I once went to Mexico and I saw the Palenque ruins there. The first time I went there, I was sober. And the next day I encountered somebody and I could smoke some haze. And we went back again. And believe me, our right Mexican, I don't know what it was, but it was fire, okay? Well, it was like a totally different experience as the day before, let's say, okay? And that's the weed I kind of like, you know, like this weed that, that has this... It's not a spiritual thing, okay, for me. It's like really it makes you pay attention. That's why I kind of like it, okay. But indulging in it in our society, well, it's not the most easy thing. <laughs> Let's say for longer. I can certainly appreciate the sentiment and we'll definitely get to the, the healing band-aid haze very shortly. I just want to ask you one last quick question in regards to these cuts and more specifically Neville. Did you ever have any interaction with Neville? Any thoughts on him? And do you regard him as uh, the the greatest of all time in terms of breeding? Oh, well, well, Neville, uh, his influence is indisputed. Eh? This man created some things that are uh, yeah, extraordinary. Yeah? Okay, that's true. But, you know, like, so it's like the story. So Neville created the hybrids and with that actually uh, paved the way of modern cannabis, let's say. Okay, so we uh, the whole cannabis industry and community owe this man a great deal of, uh, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course he is what he is. Eh? And, uh, but that also counts for, for instance, for Sam Skirtman, who was uh, bringing the seeds from uh, America. And also then when you go past that, the Hayes brothers, whoever they were, and maybe even the beatnik generation that were initially interested in, uh, in uh, getting high, let's say, okay. And so um, then it's all a little bit connected. I see also Hayes uh, originated in Santa Cruz, California. 
uh, as far as historics go, uh, if we if we uh, follow the historical uh, uh, path, and uh, so then it came to Holland, and Neville got in touch with it and made something really remarkable for it because he has a, he had a nose for it. He had to, yeah, so his bleeding work is like. Oh. It speaks for itself, okay? We still live in this legacy for, uh, and uh, we must be thankful for that, of course. And, uh, you know, we, we were lucky to um, safeguard a part of this man's legacy in that regard, okay, by being preserved, by loving them. And like I said, I never really understood uh, who Neville was. It was uh, later by, so we held the clones, <clears throat> let's say, from... These people got into trouble and we took the matters up and to ourselves. That was like 1999, the millennium change, let's say. Then we went underground with it, okay? But I lost the A5 and I wanted to find it back. And so internet then came and it revolutionized the world. Eh? We can all agree on that too. And so I was uh, going online searching for it. And that brought me then uh, to the MNS board because there were similar genetics being made available. So I'm like, hey man, this is maybe uh, a way of retrieving the A5 back. And so uh, I was a member on the board and then Neville, so I was reading about it and by being on an international board, you could start understanding more about it. So it was like a mirror that was placed in front of me and I was like, realizing now, so we were never really affiliated with the uh, Amsterdam scene back when I met this group that were holding the hazes, okay? Like I say, we went there for, uh, like to see the city and do some coffee shops, but we never went there to really, um, as, as a cannabis enthusiast, uh, let's say, okay, that came later, but for us then, it, so we didn't have to drive two or three hours because it was available like around the corner, eh? So, um, so we held it here, and um, by being on the boards, then I could really uh, beginning to understand, like, hey, man, we have something special here. I knew they were from Neville, but I never really paid attention how this cannabis community before the bigger scheme then was in, at play. So I was just a secluded grower and preservist uh, of these plants, safeguarding them by loving them so much. And then you get this feedback of people. And then later, through MNS, I got uh, indeed in, inter in brief interaction with Neville. Eh? But then the whole thing exploded there. And yeah, well, so it came became like uh, <laughs> something I'd rather steer away from. I'm like, oh my God, okay, well. So I just love these plants. And uh, yeah, man, so Neville may his soul rest in peace. And we owe this man a really great thing. Uh, because he did something remarkable, but, you know, he did it in Holland. And so it's like, so it's more like, so the people that are not in the spotlight also, usually for preserving these plants, well, we owe them like really a ton of gratitude because uh, Neville was a great breeder, but he was not a preservist, okay? And so that's usually breeders are not the best preservist for one reason or the other. I, I don't know why. It's used to also with illegal uh, legislations, not being able to keep the plant potentials clean or whatnot. 
it can diversify, it, it can have so many reasons, okay, why it goes wrong. But um, so I never intended to breed with these plants until I could assess for myself how unique they were in the cannabis genome, okay. And uh, so then you start paying attention, but I never wanted to, you know, like, um, exploit them for any benefit really for my own you know it's been part of our lives for so long and so by being then on the boards and realizing what you have well you know some people ask me like oh I really would love to smoke this A5 and you know like so then we interact and so I give it away okay I'm like here grow it <laughs> because I love these people also and then it's a different thing, okay? And then they can grow it, and then, yeah, of course, it gets shared, and it's like how it is. Eh? So it is what it is. They're out there in the world, and I think that's a really great thing because that's where they belong, and that's also why we kept them around for so many years, okay? Only to, yeah, first and foremost, be able to access them ourselves, don't lose them. And then in the best case scenario, that's what smokers do. Eh? We get high together. And of course, if you want it, and I really, you know, we share that. Hey, Amen. Of course, that's how it happens. Yeah, what, what an awesome sentiment. And uh, an interesting observation as well you made about breeders and not being able to preserve. I, uh, I've certainly lost a plant here and there. I have to acknowledge it. I'd love to ask you, what's the, uh, what's the backstory on the Miracle tie that ended up creating the Band-Aid Haze? Can you tell me how that one went down? Yeah, it's a good question, actually, because in the end, nobody knows what this Miracle tie supposedly is. So it actually it became Miracle because there was a coffee shop in that area that was called Miracle. And so these people that were providing A5 flowers, they had a crop there, and whether it's like, I don't know what it is. So something pollinated a crop and there were some seeds from it. And so these were kept around for long by the people there that were the people that actually also safeguarded the A5 clone for long. Well, uh, in this area, it got uh, lost. And so these seeds were then sent away uh, to uh, the US where they resulted in this mail that then eventually uh, produced the Band-Aid number seven, eh? and it speaks for itself. So thankfully, we, we made some seeds with that also. So we have it now in our vaults ready to, uh, like I say, when the legislation changed, all these seeds and these genetics were made available. And thank God we have enough of them, like the A5 crust to the A5 tie which are nice lines. So we are preserving what we can, whether it's in plant form or seed form, to once, you know, like uh, tap into this genome more uh, uh, deeper, let's say, and see what comes out of it. Because the Band-Aid 7, it's just an example of what to find in that. It's such a unique, beautiful cultivar, but also not easy to grow. So it's also like this when people are used to growing like haze hybrids that go like um, 12 weeks and they used to chop it around, let's say, the 90-day market or like uh, then, well, the band-aid starts then in producing beauty. So you have to give it time because it goes like to 15 weeks, up to 15 weeks, and even then you might go to 16 weeks if you really want to grow it properly 
But then she is like, wow, she blows. <laughs> She's like amazing. Okay, I'm like, wow, this really can stand next to it. And so that only shows the potential of these genetics towards the future. And so I'm thankful to be privileged to be working these uh, exclusive genetics in that way. And then you you also see how the breeding potential, how high, how high it is, okay? But like I say, most commercial growers don't want it, okay? Because they have streamlined facilities. And if you are like, you know, doing a, a thousand indoor lights and you put a cultivar like that in it and it goes wrong, well, you are 20 weeks further and well, it's a big problem, let's say. <laughs> That's really interesting. I, I haven't uh, been fortunate enough to, to try the Band-Aid 7 myself. But the, the thing I was wanting to ask you was, obviously, it was Miracle Tie onto that A5 and then Bodhi crossed it to the Cuban Black Haze. The Cuban Black Haze, that's suspected of being like a very A5, like it is very A5 leaning yeah. from what I've heard. And then the A5 itself is in there. So mm. it's interesting that the Band-Aid Haze, like would you say the effect is like the A5 or not really? It's much better the effect, you know, like so it has the deepness of like the Haze A side to it, but it doesn't um, fuck with your mindset so much, okay? It's not so negative, the effect. So it's much more positive and bright, inspiring and creative instead of more that kind of... Uh, overthinking uh, things like you know like like or you get fixated at some things or like uh, it's hard to describe how it works actually but it's much more friendly and it has this a5 progeny like you say it's actually you know so a5 cross to question mark eh, this male and so it would be nice to with our modern technology like to lab test it further to see in the future which actually is um, close related to whatever the male was that pollinated this a5 because when you look at the b7 well it's exceptional okay and so it's on the cuban black haze as you said now i haven't grown the cuban black haze itself here and i know there are many Cuban black hazes going around. So it's hard to distinguish actually which one Bodhi used. I, I, I don't know that, so I cannot confirm it. But so it's probably also, from what I've heard, the best assumption that I have to make from my you know, limited uh, abilities to assess it, let's say, it's probably uh, a Neville's haze that was shipped back then in the early 90s or maybe late 80s when it's these tester seeds were available maybe back then i'm not sure it's just like speculation okay but the morphology of this cuban black haze well it's more comparable to the Neville's haze we have here than it is to a5 or c5 it has a different structure okay and i see when i see pictures of this uh, cultivar of the cuban black haze i see more like um this type of um, struct morphology structure as I can see it in the Neville's face. And that's different. So it has more like, um, it's, it's very, uh, but it's stout. So it's more stouty compared to the hazes we have, but it's branching is more like this. Uh, so uh, it's also not flowering so long. I think it's only 12 weeks or something. Anyway, that's what I heard. So that's the best assumption I have. If that's the case, then it's actually uh, A5 close to 
hey C cross to A5 cross to question mark, okay? Whatever it is, it's like a really good uh, combination. And um, so it's only sad that uh, only the Band-Aid uh, Haze got selected because I think in the seed life could be more. Uh, but it's a unique cultivar and it's it's really a keeper plant, this one, okay? And I have tested many seeds. Uh, I didn't come across uh, any keepers. Like uh, I tested many hazes, other hazes. Uh, the amnesia haze was also nice, but yeah, it didn't really appeal to me uh, in... Um, high and uh, overall plant compared to A5 or C5. Eh? Uh, also super silver haze, not so much. Uh, like uh, like I say, okay. The mango haze in terms of morphology, also not, but I liked uh, its um, smokeability a lot, okay. So it's like this, yeah. But the bandit haze really sticks out. So whatever the male was that hit the A5, well, it, has, it's a, it makes a really good blend, let's say. They were all seeds also. Eh? I think they tried out them all, but they only had success to uh, find one male in it. And sadly, it got lost, okay? That's also, that we come again preserve, preserving, okay? okay? Male like that. Well, it was for Neville also back in the day. Haze A also got lost very early, actually. So then there was only Haze C left, which make the A hybrids more like, yeah, uh, mesmerizing or like yeah, legendary because there are only few of them, okay? Well, hey, see, then later got, it was uh, around for much later, so it was uh, then usable to um, create other hybrids, but like I say, usually they steer away a little bit from the haze uh, side, uh, the commercial side of the spectrum then because the impracticalities to cultivate it to full potential, okay? So they had uh, they they got two more streamlined plants because uh, it's um, more easy to cultivate. Let's say okay. So and uh, the hybridization further came and you know so the gene pool got a little bit diluted in the haze seed thing. But if you have it in pure form still, well, it has a sheer power and it's more friendly, like I say. But on the other hand, the Band-Aid haze being Cuban black haze, which I think is also leaning more to the haze A side, definitely, in scent. So I had the privilege to go to New York, so I didn't grow it. I have, didn't have a chance to grow it. But there I was able to sample some uh, of uh, this Cuban black haze, and it's clearly related to uh, the A line. Okay, so it has the same kind of uh, more machine um, smell to it. Like, you know, it's not that liver. I didn't find liver in it so much. But yeah, it has that dark and uh, rotten fermented thing to, to, to it in a certain way. So I can see the relation between the Cuban black haze and Neville's work clearly. Okay, it's definitely related 100%. But when you then think that this Cuban black haze with this A5 cultivar produced such a nice... Um, cultivar in morphology I can understand it but in smokeability it was a surprise because it doesn't have this uh, um, um, negative so possible negative um, sphere that usually comes from haze A hybrids you know it's more to the seaside of it that's why I think the uh, Cuban black haze might be a Neville's haze okay there's some C in it or this question mark Pollinating the A5 might also have a play in it. Who's to know? You should also look into lab testing it to find out maybe, okay, where it fits into like a, 
But the science is also emerging. Eh? We can now test genomes and whatnot, but like this library is still a little bit debatable. Or like you know, it's like not really clear yet, yet. So we have to investigate further to see the correlation between things. Okay, and then we can establish to say, ah, oh, it's possibly this. I don't personally think it's a tie that pollinated this A5, but who's, who's to know? Okay. Who's to know? It's a miracle. That's what it is, because it produced the band-aid haze. And yeah, so yeah, it's like a fabulous cultivar, okay? Unique. Totally, totally. Speaks for itself. And as you said, it'll be awesome one day if we are able to test these things and get an answer. One of the questions we had submitted by a few different listeners is, uh, you know, Doobie of AC, it's a good friend of the show. We'd love to hear a little bit about your collaboration with him. What were some of your thoughts on the crosses and do you have maybe a favorite? Yeah, well, you know, Doobie had an interesting library, I think, and uh, potential plans to make these clones also uh, and more available to the wide stream audience in a way I saw more fitting the heirlooms itself. Because like I said, usually they been bred with to away from the haze and so his more nld rich library sparkled my enthusiasm to uh, contact him and to say hey man you know like you have nice parentals i have some special heirlooms you know uh, what do you think you know we can maybe you know enhance the gene pool with that and make this wheat accessible because over the years a lot of people ask me to please send me the a5 please send me the c5 and i can understand it but you know, I, I, go, I would be mailing like 100 clones every day. It's just not possible. It's just not doable, okay? So I have shared it with uh, some people that I consider being part of my uh, intimate sphere, okay? And it's uh, like, it's like this usually that that these plants are exchanged also and they become friends and then you do it. Then, of course, it spreads out, but that's a different story. But um, so with Ace, uh, I had like, so his credentials were nice. And uh, so we then experimented and got together and we are still working on uh, like, um, so it's an R&D phase. So he chose the Malawi because he's in favor of that. And I did some work previously myself with Malawi that actually brought me to Ace because I had a, um, a mutual um, passionado, let's say, he was working with this A-seeds line and he had pollen from an exceptional mayhill he found in the Malawi line. So then he we, he exchanged pollen with me and I did my own little work and I was like, hey man, the progeny is really good, okay? The first time I see like something I'm looking for and like what, what was the progeny then of these uh, matings. And so that's uh, by going to Spanabis, Luis is also based in Spain, uh, yeah, our worlds, you know, connected. Eh? And so um, we then uh, decided to look into it and uh, do some breedings together. I personally like the Super Malawi uh, haze, uh, or like this, uh, yeah, what's it called? Super Malawi haze, I think. It's the Neville haze cross to the Malawi. And uh, so, like I said, they are long flowering plants. So he has now uh, also released some with uh, Ohakan and uh, with Panama. And so I smoked some because we also have a collective here of uh, people that, uh, you know, like pop some seeds to see what's in it. And so I liked uh, with the Panama, the A5 Panama, I liked uh, really uh, nicely. And so there are some people growing it now. It takes long eh, to grow it. So we are waiting for actually the people's preferences 
And then there will be a few uh, lines that uh, Ace can uh, use to enhance his own uh, library. But I think he does fabulous work with his own thing. And uh, he's a good guy and he knows a lot about breeding. So in that regard, I found it very interesting also to mate. So a lot of people beg me for a five and no, and no. Okay? So I'm like, okay, let's make it accessible for people, you know. But in a way, I think it's a good way not to uh, do another super silver haze uh, story or like, you know, Jack Harrod or whatever, you know. Or also not with Cushies because I think the Cush takes a lot too much away from haze. I mean, morphology-wise, they can produce really uh, ex ex extraordinary plants, but you get these cluster pins in it, you can also downgrade this haze too much. It's too overpowering. So I'd rather have than a natural blend in it, like uh, Thai or like natural varieties, land races that are also being refined by a breeder work like Ace is doing, and then bring these two worlds together to, you know, allow people to have, you know, like an idea of what it is to smoke an A5 because you have phenotypes. Eh? So I, I like, uh, <clears throat> so I like it very much, and I like get a lot of gratitude from people also to make it available in this kind of more sphere, okay? And we are all uh, yeah, based in Europe, trying. we are also fighting for better, better legislations here. And so we are assisting each other also to, you know, enhance our capabilities to, uh, yeah, you know, uh, make the broader awareness here uh, that it's a good business, it's, it's a normal thing, okay? It should be considered as winemaking. So, you know, like this tolerated, more or less um, wave that uh, that has hit Europe. Uh, well, we are not there yet, okay? We need better legislations and then we can do proper work, let's say, okay? But I think ACEEDS is one of the more uh, professional uh, here in Europe that has some interesting genetics and therefore I wanted to cross. And I would say, yeah, tap into... I, I personally like seed lines a lot. And so usually the people go for the A5 cross to whatever, okay? Because they all want this A5 sign. But I recommend people to tap into the C line too, because yeah, the C has something, you know, like, so people that want to smoke daily, this, and the, the C line, you know, it's a treasure, okay? So I can only recommend people also to look into that because it's worthwhile, believe me. What an awesome answer. I love it. And uh, I, I've sussed the list out myself. Plenty of mouth-watering options on there. I reckon that'll be killer. I'd love to ask you, you know, because Ace offers and works with a lot of Landrace stuff. Have you ha have you been tracking or got any thoughts on some of the newer Landrace genetics that have been coming in by way of places like Indian Landrace Exchange and some of these other cool cats in the community, some of these other guys in the community who are out there collecting Landrace genetics and offering them? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, it depends also what your uh, personal preference is. Eh? So Landrace is, well, so... A land race is usually not um, the most suitable cultivar to place in an indoor vari uh, environment, okay? Then they have to be exceptional. I don't say it's not possible, but you give and take the fact that if a plant is produced, for instance, in India for like a number of years and you, you tap into a seed line here, well, it's a very different cultivar than, let's say, uh, uh, yeah, than any other uh, cultivar. And so it's a personal preference taste, okay? Um, for me, 
ganja is ganja. So if I want to smoke um, Indian varieties, I smoke their hash preferably, okay? <laughs> and so I'm not really looking in that, but some land races, of course, are different, okay? So the ganja, the ganja countries, uh, they have different land races than uh, the hash countries. Eh? When you look at the Thai varieties or like their regions that these... Um, or like Southeast Asia, more generally speaking, okay, they, they smoke the ganja there. And then, so like um, from areas where hashis is produced, well, these cultivars, they're hash cultivars, okay. So they're totally different. And to place them in an indoor environment, well, uh, well, it's not what I would aim for or look for, you know. But ganja varieties, land-raised varieties, they are really interesting to... Um, enhance the gene pool, the ganja gene pool with, okay? So I don't necessarily say it's bad to have a Tibetan variety in uh, your uh, gene pool. I, I think they could be nice, surprising in terms of getting high maybe, but they're not really made for um, the realm of people that produce wheat, I think. It's not for the big market. I think it's also a very niche market. So people will delve into it for personal preferences, but not necessarily because they are the most um, yielding and rewarding plants or out speaking, so to speak. Okay. So it's all about personal preference, which is a good thing. And I only, you know, like applaud these people for doing it. But for me personally, it's not the, my field of interest, interest in merging um, realms of ganja with each other because hash cultivars. Well, like I say, they are made, for, they are usually hash cultivars. It says, speak for itself. Like the hash plant haze is a very good example. So it can work, eh? for instance. But um, so you have to have a, so you have to throw a lot of numbers of seeds to be able to do proper selection in that field. And so for me, it's not a possibility, okay? But for people that are working business large scale, yes, of course, I understand why they do it, okay? You might find that one exceptional parental that can enhance the gene pool in a certain way that it's... So that's the beauty about cannabis also and working these plants, you know? That's why I don't like uniforming them so much. I like to... So the difference must be there, okay? Like uh, it must be a good blend, so to speak, or a good hybrid. So you're aware of it's this and that, and you keep also the pedigree clear. And so everybody knows what it is. Okay. Because I think the majority of the market is like the nine weeker cultivation wise. Okay. And then you have like the finer blends to it and that can go up to like maybe 20 weeks. Okay. But that's really a niche market, I think. And it's not really uh, something that will be grown in big facilities. I think never. Okay because you don't have the market for it yeah very true very true you know it's hard hard to imagine popping some land race seeds and getting something out of it the market would be accepting you did uh you know pique my curiosity when you're answering that last question is sort of slightly unrelated but mostly related um have you ever tried to make hash out of any of the you know the heirlooms you hold or do you feel like the magic is within the flower Oh, no, 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 we did, you know, but it really works best from uh, uh, outdoor grown. So when you light dap it here in summertime, and uh, we were fortunate to do it, uh, and then uh, you dry sift uh, under the best possible conditions, so traditional also. Well, I must say the AG13, it's, that's the winner. 
we sadly here over now we don't we don't can access the hash plant haze temporarily due to also the legislation and that's unfriendly so we have to regain it uh, so it's a little bit tricky, but that would also be a very good cultivar, I think, to do that, you know. When you light that bit under sun, you know, outdoors, wow, man, yes, the hash from it, it's really good, okay, even if it's a one um, phenotype uh, hashish, so to speak, okay, wow, it was, yeah, it absolutely was blow my mind, and it's much better than the other, other concentrates, I think, okay. Uh, rosin is also, of course, a very nice way to uh, tap into um, the thing, but you have to have this machine and it's very sticky. I, I kind of like the, the dry sift methodology and then, you know, like you uh, you press it and you have like, yeah, what we like, eh? hashiza. But yeah, yeah, the, uh, AG13, wow, the rest, wow, whew, it's very heavy, okay, to, um, to have this uh, concentrate. Yeah, and it really blows your mind also. People are a little bit afraid of it. <laughs> Especially those from metal haze and then A5, you know, like seriously, it's like, oh, you don't want to give it to somebody that doesn't know what it, because that stuff is brutal, okay? So it's like, yeah. <laughs> well, so, yeah. But also, in the, so uh, the type of hashis, eh? so that comes more, more close to really that type of Afghan psychedelic hashis. Well, the AT13 absolutely was the winner in that regard. So, yeah, yeah, we do make hash. We also isolate it. We do BHO. We do a little bit of everything, okay? But um, my favorite is that kind of thing. But, yeah, you have to grow outside. So it's here with this uh, legislation. It's hard to do it, let's say, because it's in the eye. And so you have to have this spot. And so it's very complicated to get it done. But once it's done, well, it's absolutely, uh, yeah, something unique also. <laughs> definitely oh i can only imagine that sounds like it would be a real treat one of our listeners wanted to ask are your flowers like sort of or your cruise flowers sort of consistently available at dramp king if they were to go visit amsterdam or is it like a hot commodity and you got to sort of be you know there at the right moment yeah, that's actually the case because, you know, I'm not, I'm a secluded man, eh? so I cannot do big things, okay? So I can only recommend the people to ask the bartenders, like, uh, if they have some semi-grown there because it's there, you know, it's also like, it's not, uh, so it's hard to, 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 be, to be delivering that consistency in that kind of league because, well, I'm not in this commercial uh, mainframe. So, and, and also it takes a lot of time eh, along with these long flowerings. So, you know, there's some batches, of course, that he, uh, that they uh, save, but, you know, it's a hard thing. Okay. And uh, when it's really good, like I told you, it's like quickly sold <laughs> also. So, and, uh, you know, it takes a little time to, uh, to fill the tank again, but uh, yeah, we do the best we can. So I recommend people going there to like uh, request the tenders there if there's anything available and I'm sure they will uh, assist you accordingly. So uh, yeah, I do the best I can with the means I have, so to speak. Okay. That's how it is for now, at least. Uh, look, I don't think anyone blames you. It's uh, understandable with all the parameters you mentioned. And, you know, it sort of ties into another question we had from a, another listener, which was, how do you feel about the new legal system in Holland? And why is it so hard to find real haze in Amsterdam anymore? Well, because nobody wants to grow it. Eh? It's like that, okay. And also the hypes of the of the modern strains, like the cushies and the cakes, or like the more Cali strains, 
Well, so there are also a hype here and everybody jumps on it because it's, uh, yeah, of course, it, it, it makes more money, let's say. It's actually crazy. In Amsterdam, these cushions like the Cali strains are often retailed for like 35 plus euros a gram, while mine is like 16 or something, okay? I don't mind about that because I think, you know, it's all about an honest smoke also, eh? But I'm just saying they're like nine weeks, easy to grow. And then like, yeah, but so the market is completely upside down. But it is what it is, okay. And so, um, yeah, what can I say about it, okay? Uh, haze was, there was a time in the 90s when the cultivation was less targeted and it was still more open that the hazes were also more frequently grown by the passionates and you had more home growers, let's say, okay. But when they started to uh, target really the home cultivators, well, it moved a little bit to more like, uh, yeah, the criminal sphere. Eh? They pushed it in that because, yeah, yeah, seriously, okay. So they incriminate the cultivation more while they still enhance the uh, coffee shop being read. So it's like a complete absurdity. But anyway, that was the sad evolution. And so that was also the reason why secluded growers like myself went deeply underground and then like yeah has also to have to face the consequences but in a way yeah we we do it with passion and with heart and so it got a little bit pushed away by the uh, transformation of the whole cannabis culture also the so legalization in America and Canada or like regularization or like, you know, I never expected in the 90s if somebody would have told me like it's going to be legal or like, you know, regulated in America prior to Holland. I was like, so you crazy? Okay, because we were expecting legalization within five years and then it became 10 years, 15, 20, 25, 30. I'm like, what? And it's like this. Okay. So the, the haze got a little bit pushed away. And so it, it, then it kind of resides only in the people that kind of treasured it because everybody, yeah, it was growing amnesia eh, suddenly here because it was a sturdy plant, easy to grow, nine-weeker variety also. You know, you had different, uh, so they have different types of amnesia. But the one that's uh, kind of growing, it's the, I think the hypro cut, well, so you grow it in nine weeks. Usually they chop it a little early, at 10, maybe tops. And it yields a lot and it's potent wheat, okay? So, but it's not really, it doesn't hold any, uh, like the sacred thing is a little bit breed away from it. And so we want to maintain that. But yeah, we are like the last of the Mohicans with this haze. Eh? Everybody says you're totally insane, okay? <laughs> but anyway, insane or not, we do it anyway. Oh, I love it. And look, you know, you're referring to like the sacredness of the haze high. And I guess, you know, a common breeding strategy we see being embraced more often is old school versus new school. And so I guess, what's your thoughts on the idea of like a C5 cross to Gelato 33? Like, do you think there's any value in that? Or do you think it's just too dominant? Yeah, I think it's too dominant. And so for my personal preference, I don't say that it will not produce really stellar plants and be maybe a merging of two worlds, okay? So bringing the haze to the cushions. Eh? 
but you know so it's like different two completely different two worlds it was like also back in the day the people the initiators of the preservation they weren't so fond of skunk line because that was over dominant and every kind of variety almost you found on the dutch market back then so they wanted to uh, keep the haze uh, as good as possible around and not intermix it with skunk i must say i also grow the old school haze and it's a great mix of skunk and haze so it it has potential okay but for my personal preference i wouldn't uh, go for it because i personally i like all cannabis but i'm not so in favor of certain cushions so from my also limited uh, accessibility also to trying them and to properly evaluate them but um, i don't say there are cushions maybe in the field that i do uh, like uh, smokeability wise and also morphology wise you know so that um, but it's not something i'm looking for because usually our cushions are short flowering so then you will have an offspring that will diminish also it will take away from the haze experience so to speak in highs usually that's the case and produce a less or a more yeah sedative kind of stone in it like you know what i mean that's my experience with cushions anyway but um, so they're more like um, sedative kind of they can be good and also a little bit more relaxing some of them are a little bit yeah, overpowering like couch locking but it's not my type of wheat that uh, that that I would access if I have a variety on the table also my preferences was not uh, so we tried it ourselves and I no I didn't like it so much the offspring plant wise wow really amazing plants came out of it but i thought the the flowers were too um so it it steering away from the haze uh, too much for my personal taste so i wouldn't really um, go into that myself but if people like cushions and they also like hazes yeah man i would say go for it <laughs> i love that answer there you go i guess we're sort of circling around the idea of this topic of like how do we get more people interested in these older varieties and one of the sort of ideas that pops up is that some of these older heirlooms and just um really special strains in general don't necessarily test that high in thc and it seems like a lot of the general consumers of the market are largely driven by those values what do you think is a way in which we might be able to get more people aware of the, you know, the special effects and nature of these older plants? Well, it's a synergy between compounds. It's not so numbers do play into account. I mean, a haze also is like around, let's say, 20% THC. But now you have varieties of 30% THC that produce a totally different high than coming from these hazes and they are not so uh, psychedelic or so. I think um, the synergy between all compounds, not only THC, but also like flavonoids and um, like uh, terpenoids, that is like um, give this wheat its character or its potential. This whole book, let's say, if you just like read one page of this book, well, you can uh, 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 extrapolate it and look at it and you like, but there's much more to read. And so that works on each other. And uh, so to only focus on, on THC, although it has its relevance in making us high, it's like not something that uh, will produce necessarily a better high or like a, 
a better product, okay? It's like a little bit with alcohol. It's also like that. You have this Trorum kind of varieties. It's 80% full alcohol. I mean, you don't drink that in pure form. Eh? You must be crazy for that, okay? So you dilute it with something. Eh? So if you have a strain like, yeah, sometimes they make extracts of, uh, I don't know, like pure THC and you dab that, well... <laughs> Yeah, well, it's not really, so it's a cannabinoid, but it's very mono, so it's very monodimer, it's not, so it's very, uh, yeah, monoistic, so let's say, I'm not for that, I'm uh, like, um, you know, like a, like a painting, yeah, you know what I mean, it's like the whole painting, not just a fragment of it, and so to um, only focus on numbers, that would be, uh it's like you read every note from a symphony, but you don't hear the music of the symphony, okay? So it's like um, they, people that are focused on numbers to enhance their own profits, they're like a little bit obsessed, obsessed with numbers too much, I think, okay? And so they should smoke a good joint and reevaluate. There you go, there you go. I guess in a similar vein, I'd love to ask you, let's say someone's listening to this episode and they're like, you know what, I'm sold. I want to try some of these cool heirlooms. What sort of genetics would you advise someone to get if they had to use seeds and they want to get their toes wet in this sort of effect and plant? Well, the, the seed that we are making available at or the dumpling, I would say, yeah, go for it. And then, of course, what I do with A seeds also, I would say also go for it. And there are some people in the business here in Holland that are working also uh, with these hybrids and producing their own varieties. So, like, you know, it's just uh, internet is full of them. Eh? So if you type in uh, certain seed banks are offering them now, and it's only like the beginning, I think, because there will be more offerings and more uh, work to be done coming future. And so for now, I would say like the A seed lines are very nice with the hybrid sign. Uh, uh, so we collaborated on. And um, so the bars are full of it, okay. I think Wally, for instance, also makes like uh, nice things available for an, uh, yeah, there are, I think there are some people also that are working uh, to when the legislation changes to step further out of the closet and make their own kind of uh, uh, NLD uh, spectrum or bring their own kind of NLD spectrum to the market, which are they are working on already. And it's nice to see people collaborating with passion uh, around the world, you know, and sharing things. And then, you know, you bring worlds together and you can really make uh, extraordinary plants if you combine elite plants with each other. Yeah, of course, the result will be something elite. Eh? So it's it's like this, okay? And also the good synergy between two plants, eh? because ne not necessarily two hybrids that are uh, really stellar, uh, you know, can enhance um, in its progeny, their parents also. So you have to really test it and know what you're doing. But um, a lot of passionados in the, in the world are uh, working. And I think once the legislation in multiple countries will change, well, well, well it will change also the uh, accessibility of, uh, of uh, the more haze-dominated uh, spectrum of cannabis, let's say, or NLD for that matter. Totally. I hope that definitely happens. I wanted to ask you one last question before we jump into our final five. It's a fan submitted one and they said, can you ask Sammy, what's his thoughts on the early pearl slash silver pearl? Well, you know, it's like every 
plant has its unique kind of um, morphology and spectrum, okay? So I was never really uh, fond of it because, yeah, well, it, it lacked vigor towards, to the plants that we kind of embraced. And although it's nice to have it around and to uh, be able to have growers here in the local communities that are still, uh, you know, also busy with uh, these other old heirlooms that they are keeping and try to, uh, yeah. So for me, these kind of, uh, I like it. Eh? I like every kind of cannabis, like I said, but cultivation-wise, I never really um, went in these kind of spectrums because we had the haze heirlooms and we had our hands full. So it kind of, you know, enriched me, but also limited me in tapping into certain seed lines myself and better evaluate them. So my take on it is like, I don't know, like original Northern Light, for instance, five. Well, I never accessed it. And so now it appears to have re-emerged or whatever it is. I'm not sure if this is all true. I'm just speculating, but I have to grow it to know it. And so I never had a chance to grow this particular cultivar he's mentioning all tapped into the seed line. So I cannot really assess it. We all smoked it. And I know some people who grow it, but so it's like a different league. Everybody has his own kind of niche work here a little bit. And we stick to our own, let's say, okay. And we are the Hayes people and other people while well, they do other things, okay. Aha, there you go. I've never had it myself, so I really can't comment too much, but it's certainly one people are always very, very curious about. Well, brings us to our final five. The first question I want to ask you was, what's the single most memorable or impactful memory you have with cannabis? doesn't have to necessarily be like the most potent cannabis, but just an event where it was incredibly memorable. Yeah, well, I had a number of those things, okay, whether to the good positive side or to the, yeah, wow, wow, wow. You know, it enhances your um, experience, I think, okay, cannabis does. And so in the best kind of moments, well, yeah, it makes everything more beautiful, okay. Everything you you, you feel like... um, Yeah, it's it's a divine feeling, okay. That's why I think it's a very spiritual thing. So I was, uh, I had the fortune to uh, do some travelings, and like I say, okay, sometimes cannabis can really enhance your uh, awareness of being there and feeling the environment, tap into it, you know, like be in the moment, like uh, you know, and it can also take away a lot of things, eh? you know, when you're t- totally obliterated, uh, you know. I had so when I, for instance, I'm, when I met these people. So it was before GPS and things like that. So, you know, sometimes I drove back from them and I lost the way yeah, because I was so motherfucking high, ending up in the, like in the mid zone of Holland when I'm heading to the south, like not really realizing it. And suddenly like, what, where am I? <laughs> things like this, okay. But also in the best way possible, okay. You know, so, um, so I was high on, uh, like, yeah, I'm always high, I think, okay, since I was 18 years old, I kind of uh, indulged in uh, in the cannabis sphere. And so it's like, yeah, it enhanced my life completely as a whole, okay. And uh, for the good or for sometimes the, the challenging one, because it's also confrontational, like I say, okay. It's not also an easy legacy to carry when you're working on the and the um, stigmas like you're a criminal or something while you're really actually loving something and 
and you know what it's for, okay. And uh, when you make people high from it, that's also something I like very much about being able to treasure something uh, that's really valuable and being able to share it, okay. So people that access my uh, flowers and sometimes my work, they're really appreciative, okay. And sometimes I had the fortunate and the pleasure also that people took uh, their time and effort in coming to visit me here, okay? Like people you meet on the board and then they come here and then they sample your, what you have. And then, yeah, you know, like they saw the gratitude you get from it. It's really great, okay? It's like really fantastic. If you have something that really, you know, have an effect on people's uh, emotional and mental awareness for the good, you know, it's like a very... Um, thankful and humbling thing also to be part of that okay that's why we do it also so the getting high and gathering with people the deeper connections you make now also more abroad and everything people coming together i think you know this like-minded vibe that you share it's really great and mesmerizing i think it's one big good thing also also medicinal and everything okay for me this plant is the healing of the nation and so um yeah I guess a lot of people don't want to hear it or see it. I don't know why. Okay. Maybe you should drink a little bit less and smoke a little bit more. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, so the next one is, what's uh, one situation where you've been really excited to try something? It's been hyped up. Everyone's telling you it's great, a strain, and then you finally get to try it and you're not really impressed. Well, uh, like 99% of everything, actually, okay? I'm sorry, I might be <laughs> privileged to compare, having to compare it with, like, uh, elite cultivars. I'm not saying... The, so, the Maxtiza, that was a variety I tried. I got also sent to by... Uh, that. I really liked that one in high, but I sadly lost it. So, but Maxtiza was one that stood out for me over the time. And, of course, the Band-Aid 7, I said it, of course, Um um, well, I tried many, okay. I also, wow. there were many good ones, but keepers really are only, yeah, it's, it's hard to, um, it's also because I work under this legislation, okay, so I cannot keep everything because I would love to, but uh, yeah, so it's hard. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, I had some um, really, yeah. So one of the things also that blew my motherfucking mind, I went to Spanish this year ago. And so this dab thing came up, right? I wasn't really used to it. So then I met a Canadian there and you know, he said, I'd also did dab. So I took nine dabs, you know, in a row. Well, that obliterated me kind of, you know. Like. <laughs> so then I'm aware of what dabbing is, let's say. Okay, just uh, to, to rephrase on the, on the former question, actually. But um, yeah, what can I say? Okay, about these hazes. Uh... I think you've uh, you answered earlier on. It was a good answer <laughs> for sure. Uh, the the next question I've got for you is: I'm going to drop you on a desert island, and you can take three strains with you for the rest of time. It can be the clones or a pack of seeds, if you want. What three things are you going to take with you? Well, you know. 
Fuck, man, things then, eh? Oh, that's a difficult one to an island. Cannabis-related things, let's seclude it to that. Well, of course, this Nepalese hash, it cannot, you know, if it's ever accessible again, I would like that <laughs> to have like a, a stash full of it so it lasts a lifetime, let's say, okay? And of course, good ganja, yeah, man, if I would choose, I would go for C5 because he's the queen, eh? But you have to, you know, like, so C5 was the most accessible for us before we retrieved the other clones, we only had C5 and hash plant haze for a number of years here. Well, that's how I learned to grow it to finesse, like say, eh? because you, you know, we couldn't access any other things. But this completely aside, we had then this best C5, but you know, when you have only one thing to smoke, no matter how good it is, you don't have any uh, point of to, you know, like to compare it with, okay? So it's like you get bored with it, essentially, okay? So variety is the spice of life, eh? Only three things. So I will break the rule. I need, like, more things, okay, to go to the island, you know? <laughs> seriously. Okay, otherwise, it will be, seriously? I'd rather stay here, then. I'm not going to that island. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept it. That's the first uh, answer of that nature I've heard, and uh, we'll allow it. So on the other end of the spectrum... You're going to drop someone else off on the island, someone you're not super fond of. They've uh, they've dirtied the gene pool. What three things are you going to leave them with on the island? You know, they should really educate themselves. What can I say? Okay, maybe, you know, I could drop them with an educational thing about this whole thing and you make them read and then they can go back from that island and, you know, like... Uh, Put in the necessary work, okay? It's not that difficult and complicated. You know, first they need to acknowledge it and take it for a reality, okay? Otherwise, I wouldn't, you know, say it also. It's just like a call out that I make because, you know, as a home grower, in essence, imagine you pay in like 80 or 100 bucks or whatever to buy some seeds and you get them and they are infected. And imagine you have like a few keepers there you're not aware of it, and it ruins your whole library, okay? For these people, it is a disaster, okay? And so maybe pay attention and see really if the parentials are not uh, infected. And if they are, uh, yeah, then, you know, like, do put in the necessary to not spread this because for a lot of growers, uh, well, it's a nuisance, let's say, okay? And that's a sad thing because, yeah, you put in the effort and when you plant like deteriorate, it's on you and you have no awareness from what it is. So the people that are aware in this business should be aware and take precautions so that it doesn't happen, okay? And then uh, everybody's happy. <laughs> and that's the emotion <laughs> about it, okay? That's all. I love it. I love it. We're changing the words, not the vibe. So the final question is, I've got a time machine for you. You can go back anywhere, anytime to get seeds, clones, whatever you want. Where are you going to go? What are you going to get? Oh, my God. Seriously. Wow. <clears throat> In retrospect, knowing what we know now, <clears throat> You know, the heritage of what Neville did there was very important, okay? But um, I think these seeds, how I, so it's all like I wasn't there, so I cannot verify any story. Yeah? But um, so imagine the seed that he had back then, if you would have the technology, like to sprout them all and not just get like uh, five or six viable plants out of it, but like, you know, like maybe a hundred or a thousand, wow. Well, you know, that would be a world of change and difference. Eh? 
So it's hard to kind of, you know, like, I don't know. It all originated also somewhere in, in, in various places on the world and brought, has brought together. Eh? So like, um, you know, I think in the 60s, what happened there was kind of really revolutionary also in um, spreading awareness around the Western world about being more tolerated towards this plant, you know, with the beatnik generation starting it and then the hippie momentum and everything that resided from there. You know, over time, we this plant came, so it was contraband, it became contraband in the 30s, and we all know why it was for the, after the... Uh, when they banned alcohol and so they needed another scapegoat thing yeah. so it's a, race, uh, it's a racist story it's actually a very sad story yeah, how this plant became uh, demonized let's say but uh, now that it's back kind of in our spheres uh, we can normalize it and then um, you know it became, becomes another thing okay well what seeds i would say the 60s were crucial so really these hayes brothers whoever they were well their seed stock yeah i would kind of like to access them let's say that whoever they were in the 60s throughout the 70s these guys seeds yeah i want to access, access them in pure form but like in large numbers and do like what a broad selection out of them, I think it would be like, yeah, it's a dream for everybody, I think, okay? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. So the Hayes Brothers seeds, I want to delve into. So that would be like late 60s, eh? Yeah. What a brilliant answer. I love it. I'm sure there'd be some gold in there, no doubt. So I think that just about brings us to the end of it for this one. Do you have any comments or shout-outs you want to make? Yeah, shout out to my friends here locally and uh, especially also a tribute to my ex-wife because we were a long time together and she is still my uh, partner in that sense. And also, so the good people I uh, interacted with over time, you know, I built some really good connections that I'm really happy with. And so I can only um, hope that we all do our best to uh, kind of change the legislation that are still needed. And we can then build our way to have a, an enhanced gene pool so we can all have our personal preference of cannabis available in our own seed stash and grow it ourselves, okay? That's what we're aiming for and working for every and any day in our lives, okay? To liberate this plant and to have as a widespread uh, um, genetically availability. And uh, we do our thing with the hazes and with the NLD varieties, and we will hope to continue to do it. And everybody that uh, assists me and the community around me of these beautiful people, well, you know who you are. I would say thank you for everything, and uh, let's continue our voyage together. What a beautiful sentiment. So, again, a big thank you to the European old school head, preservationist, keeper of the A5C5, Hashplant Haze, and so many more. Big thank you to Yo Sammy Sam for coming on the show today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And there you have it, guys. What do you think? As usual, massive shout out to Sammy for taking the time to come on the show, share all the knowledge. And a massive thank you to you guys for making it to the end. If you want to help support the show, support our sponsors. CT Now, number one seed bank in the industry. You know them, you love them. All the best breeders. The hottest drops, guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Why delay, guys? I promise you will be stoked if you get some seeds from them. They only stock the best in the game. 
Likewise, a massive shout out to our friends at Pulse Sensors, all the best and latest sensors in the game, including their new Pulse Hub, which integrates all of their units together to ensure that your operation is on point, producing bigger yields, better terps, higher potency. Whether you're running a single tent, a single room, or a multi-state operation, Pulse are here to help you guys. Get serious, get a Pulse. Further shout out to Copa, the number one leaders in sustainable biocontrol solutions for pests and disease. If you're battling spider mites, please check out the Spidex Vital sachets. I can't tell you how annoying it is to have to spread carrier material in your garden just to get the predators out. These new sachets circumvent that. Just hang the sachets in your crop, let the personalist walk out, do the work for you. Trust me guys, you won't look back. If you give it one go, you will see the quality. You will be converted. A massive shout out to Copert. We appreciate your support so much. These guys are industry leaders. Check them out. Huge shout out to our friends at Organics Alive, number one for powdered organic fertilizers. If you're thinking about giving organics a go, get on board. Their products make it so easy. Whether you're in veg, transition or bloom, they've got products that make it easy to dip your toes in the water. Likewise, if you're a seasoned veteran of organics, I promise their products will help take your next crop to a whole new level. Massive shout out to Organics Alive. They have some of the best products on the market. Really fast release because they're small particle size. You will not go wrong with Organics Alive hit them up massive shout out and thank you finally a big shout out to our friends at Dynavap just a week or two ago they came out with some new models the Titanium M series in two different colors you can get yourself the Nebulum or the Quantium I've been rocking the Nebulum I love it guys please give it a go if you've ever tried a vape and felt like it didn't hit the way you were looking for it these ones will truly a game changer based out of the US owned in the US Dynavap truly one of the best vape companies on the market I really really love their products and we are super appreciative of their support massive shout out to Dynavap last but not least massive shout out to the Patreon gang thank you so much for your support if you want to help ensure the show continues to happen please consider checking out patreon.com forward slash the podcast you will get early access to upcoming episodes unheard exclusive interviews and you go in the running to win a whole range of swag each month we give away genetics cannabis artwork a whole range of awesome products all while ensuring the show continues to happen again a massive shout out to the patreon gang we love you so 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 much thank you thank you thank you and that's about it for this one my friends i will catch you for the next one Thanks so much for hanging out. Heavy days. Signing off from the Upside Down Library. We'll see you.